When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are in no position to be able to defend ourselves in any way whatsoever. Ireland is defenseless. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. Help us. Without G backing us, putting it on the air and telling the people how important it is, then they wouldn't have gone anywhere. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 9696 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 996 uh, for the weekend, and we are hearing that Olivia Rodrigo was shopping in Brown Thomas and that she had uh, a gelato from Gino's. Did anybody see her? Did you by any chance stop her and get a photograph? She's the biggest star in the world right now. Listening to Peter Aiken there in the news, you know, and um, dealing with Mr. Aiken many, many years now, we all are. He's not just saying she'll be back in Parquet Cueve. It wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he'd already asked her when she might be able to play Parky Queen for him. That's kind of how Mr. Aiken works. Anyway, good morning to you. 0818 96 96 96 083 396 96 96. Your email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Lots to talk about today. Once again, coming to you live from Studio 1.5. Do you go to bed early, uh, but are you still a bit knackered during the day? Do you get a slump? Do you get these two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock slumps, regardless of how well you think you're sleeping? That 
might be to do with your sleep patterns. We'll check that one up uh, later on. Apprentices. Earlier in the year, we did talk about apprentices and how we need so many thousands of good tradespeople and that an apprenticeship is a great way to start a career. Well, unfortunately, the pay is chronically bad and we will be... uh, looking at that a little bit later and the Coronas have a new song out we'll hear about it from Danny before the end of the show this morning but first of all and the Minister for Finance has been on national radio this morning uh, saying very clearly absolutely no absolutely there will not be an emergency budget this side of the plender the usual budget date in October he's ruled it out firmly on national radio. Uh, Mick Barry, the Socialist Party. Mick, whatever you plan to do tonight in this Doyle vote, it's a waste of time if Pascal Dunahoo just says, no, it's not happening. Good morning. Yeah, there's a a Doyle vote tonight uh, on an emergency uh, budget. It's being proposed uh, by Sinn Féin. The government are down to a bare majority uh, in the Doyle. And I hope that pressure increases on them through the day and um, people can ring their local TDs uh, they have a right to do that um, and that this is um, a very close vote tonight now if it is if the government are defeated on it it yeah. doesn't mean that there is a general election uh, they can say no uh, we don't have to go to the country having lost this vote but it would be a severe embarrassment for them and would increase the pressure Uh, for change not to be delayed for the entire four months. Well, it wouldn't force a general election, you're correct there, but would it force them into an emergency budget? No, they wouldn't be compelled to introduce an emergency budget, but it would be severely embarrassing for the government if they lost this vote, and it would give encouragement to every trade unionist, community activist and cost-of-living campaigner to step up the pressure on the government. So they need to be put under pressure today every single government TD on this vote tonight. Pascal Dunahoo again this morning saying, and Michael McGrath saying over the last number of days, look, we cannot go chasing inflation week on week, month on month, but give us time, we'll plan a budget, we will attack the cost of living in the budget, give us time. Your argument, Mick, is families that are listening to us right now don't have time to wait. Yeah, um, I mean... Every day, every week, uh, I get more and more stories, more and more people coming to me uh, who are on the edge at the moment. And the idea that they have to wait through July, August, September, including all the costs of back to school before Pascal Donoghue rides in on the white horse in October, um, that just doesn't cut it uh, for people. And I think that the government are... You know, they talk about a manager in a football team losing the dressing room. I think the government are increasingly losing the country on this issue of cost of living with the lack of urgency that's being shown here. But isn't it just an economic truism, though, an economic fact, that if you get into a race with inflation, inflation always wins that race? Well, I was listening to the leader of the uh, rail workers in uh, Britain, uh, Mick Lynch, uh, on the TV... Uh, and One of our asked, own. Yeah, he's, he's got cork blood, I believe. Um, yeah. He uh, was asked about this thing, about a wage price spiral, and he laughed. And he said, uh, there is no wage price spiral. 
there's only a price spiral on the one hand and huge numbers of workers who are on low pay or who haven't received decent pay increases in recent years who can't afford uh, to um, to um, uh, pay the prices. But that's not kind of the question I was asking, Mick. The question I was asking was, is it not an economic truth that if you start pumping money, if you want, into the economy at a time of high inflation, as in putting wages up, you will just make inflation worse? That's the government's position, but there is an increasing number of serious economic sources who are saying um, that that does not hold true in the context of the 2020s. And specifically what they are pointing to is the number of medium-sized businesses and particularly large corporations who are making record profits at the moment. And the Mm -hmm. question that's being asked is, why are workers being asked to show wage restraints in the interest of the country when the companies could afford to give the pay increases without having to knock on into price increases in order to maintain uh, profit levels. Why are the companies not being asked to show profit restraint in the interest of the country? Okay. Look, the the, the vote tonight, and and I'm glad you pointed it out, um, the the numbers in the Dáil now so tight, the government has a majority of one, and it has the Keown Corliss casting vote if necessary. But you're saying that keep an eye on the thing tonight because... They, they, they could actually lose this vote? Um, well, there's, there's a lot of COVID about at the moment. <laughs> uh, and will everyone be uh, uh, fit uh, and ready on the okay. day? I think even without that, this could be a tight vote. And if people put okay. a bit of pressure on today, it would be a, a plus. Could I just put in one quick plug there, uh, PJ, while I'm on? Briefly, Mick, go on. Yeah, it's for the personal assistance in the Irish Wheelchair Association. Um, these people uh, do really valuable work. They help people shower, they help people with the toilet, they uh, bring people out to the shops. They have not received a pay increase now, PJ, for 14 years. And the same government, which is going to give the green light to a €20,000 pay increase for judges, doctors and other high flyers this Friday, are refusing yeah. to engage with them and their trade union representatives and that that is an issue that needs to be highlighted as part of this cost. Well, well th- thanks for doing that, because I'm, I'm glad you brought that to my attention. That is a disgrace. Mick Barry, thank you very much, Mick Barry, Socialist TD, Solidarity TD for Cork North Central. Talking about low-paid workers, some of the lowest-paid workers in the country are in the catering game. Uh, restaurants, I see here, will be banned from using the term service charge now, unless that money goes directly to waiting staff. I'm reading from the, the Irish Sun where Adam Higgins has a story this morning. You know the way you go and you have a bit of grub and you tip or you don't tip. And if you see at the end of the bill, the end of the service charge, well, you might think, well, that's in lieu of a tip. But of course, a lot of the workers don't get that service charge. It goes straight into the coffers and sometimes it's used to bump up their wages. Also, um, personally, me, I only ever tip in cash to the person who actually served me because I don't trust most places to put that tip into anything other than the till. Um, but the law is going to change about this now. Uh, it's it's a new piece of legislation called the Payment of Wages Bill. It's on its way through the Oireachtas. It'll prevent employers from using tips or gratuities to make up 
basic wages. There'll also be some transparency or transparency needed about how tips and service charges are distributed. Finn, you worked in the industry for many years. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Good. Your thoughts on this? I know you worked as a chef. Now, the poor old chef rarely sees a cent of the tips, but but, but, but deal with the general issue to start with. Tips were often taken and just used to, t- used to, to save the boss money. Um, yeah, uh, there, there's no disagreement, no argument with that. Um, and in the sense that the chef, um, you know, the head chef downwards would, 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 the head chef would probably get a share of the tips. But I mean, I've worked in places where it's been a very, very fair on the flip side of the coin. Um, like Brian and the Briar Rose was adamant that it went from the kitchen porter right up to the manager. And yeah. for the month of December, he used to hold all the tips. And on Christmas Eve, you got a nice little uh, bonus in an, in an envelope of, of tips and gratuities that were, were pooled. Um, but a lot of places, like you said, the service charge on the end of the, the bill, I would assume wouldn't be seeing the bank account or the pockets of the people who are on the on the coal face, as we call it, serving the public every day. And even your idea of tipping the person that... Um, serves you. Serves you. Sometimes that can that can backfire because if you get excellent service with somebody, you might give them a big tip, and then you see the waiter or waitress, bar staff, manager on a different section saying, "Hang on a second, you got that. That needs to be pooled, so they only get a fraction mm. of it anyway." If if that's the way it's done. But my point, uh, I was saying to Fergal earlier, is that if this comes out, how does it affect if 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 you have to have transparency on it, and if somebody's putting into the pay slip at the end of the day, because waitresses and waiters not know because they're they're scarce and chefs are hard to find. Does it come up as on their? Are they? Is it taxable? Is is there going to be? You know, are they going to lose on the other hand because of it's not cash in hand per se? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean if you look at the the whole tipping practice that we have in this country Finn, we're, we're different from example say say in America, I mean in America correct me if I'm wrong here, anybody, anybody who will know different will tell me, your tips are your tips you, you and they're, they're, they're it, should be, it should be like back in the old days I remember when I started off and I, I was at Gary Baldi's um, every waiter had a section and his tips were his tips and that was it so it depends, yeah. and, and the, the, the standard of service was risen because this guy was saying, right, okay, it's a Tuesday evening and I'm not getting paid till Friday. If I put on a show here and if I give these people yeah. good service, I'll be able to have a few quid in my pocket tomorrow and not wait for my wages. And back then, it was a case of every night you had a tip jar in your little, in your apron, as, as they call it, and that was yours for the night. But now, as we came into the modern era and post-COVID, it was a case that everything was pooled and there was a, a case of, okay, how many hours did you do? The kitchen porters there washing the dishes that you're putting on the table. And it starts in the guy who puts away the deliveries in the morning. I mean, they, they're like any chef will tell you, or anybody in the industry, a good kitchen porter is worth his weight in gold because they yes. eventually will be stepping up to do a line if somebody gets stuck. And restaurant managers sometimes look down and, and it's just, it's, it's the same in every industry. They're looking down as, as the kind of minions of the trade. But no, I have to say a lot of places will pull the tips and at the end of the week or the end of two weeks or every way you want to do it, you got given your tips. But then there's more places unscrupulous that will keep it and yeah. they'll be driving around in a new car on the balance of the hardworking staff that they have on the floor, you know? Do you think it's a good idea, um, Finn, and you're, you're a man that keeps his his head on the, or, or, or keeps, his, keeps his mind on current affairs and politics as it were. Do you think it's a good idea that stuff like this becomes legislation? 
Um, I would say yes. Uh, on on like I only got the call from Fergal at ten to nine. I didn't really give it much thought, but I would say yes. But is there going to be a way for unscrupulous guys to work around that legislation? You know, um, like you, I will tip the waiter and waitress, and and you'll see. Oh, thanks very much. No, no, that's for you. Don't be putting it in a jar behind the bar. That's for you for for your for acting service, and then. If a person doesn't get tipped personally, but I'm thinking if you have uh, somebody with five or six restaurants and they've got a good accountant, that could very well work out in their favor if it's legislated yeah. as well, because they would say, right, I'm going to put X amount and the, the, the larger share of, of, of the lion's portion won't even see the kitchen floor, you know, or the, the waiting gotcha. staff. And then that just what will that that will do is it will call it cause a divide because you're going to get some guys who've been in the trade a long time saying actually no and then the, the, a boss i'm not saying it could happen and say right look i'll look after you don't tell the rest and it's easy it's happening wholesale in the, in the industry and there's nobody can come on and say it doesn't do you know what i mean i know i know finn leave it there thanks very much fiona um open up your 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 mic there you worked as a waitress for for a few years um what was the story with tips? I was working in a restaurant before I uh, became a reporter and in a restaurant that I was working in in Cavan, there was a service charge added on to the end of the bill and uh, the waitresses didn't get it. It went to the owner of the restaurant who was also the chef as well. Um, but it used to be really frustrating because you'd put in, it's such a difficult job. You're on your feet yeah. all night and you know, you're, it's really, really busy. And um, at the end of the night, then we wouldn't get any tips unless somebody asked us if, um, you know, we got the service charge and we'd always say no, that it's a house charge and then they'd leave yeah. us something. Yeah. And the split, the tips were split up between the waitresses. And um, you'd like someone like me, so who who always keeps a couple of bob in the pocket to yeah. slip under the <laughs> under the butter dish or under the you know, or even sometimes even give it straight into that. That's for you now, and I don't. And I, I've often said it to someone who's really good. That's yours. That's yeah. not going anywhere else. But is that is, allowed, Fiona, in your experience? Um, well, now I'm talking about um, a, a while back, and we just didn't tell. <laughs> we just didn't tell. Good on you, girl. Who, who owned it? But um, yeah, it's. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe somebody could ring us up and let us know what the situation sure. is now. But um, back then, yeah, it was. I just thought it was a really unfair situation to be in, and um, you know, I was only there for for um, part time basis. But there were waitresses who were there full time and depended on the tips because you know the wages at the time were very low and we really needed the tips to, to bulk yeah. that up so um, and people are expecting good service and they tip for that service and then if the waitresses are not getting it I just think it's a very unfair situation Okay, cheers. Thank you. Thanks Fee Alright, uh, let me move on after the break, we'll um, come Oh no, we'll hold the break for a second there, Wayne, because I want to go. It's 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 all related, all of this, and your thoughts on tipping and how would do you tip? Do you tip? And if you do do tip, how do you tip? Um, and have you often sort of not tipped because there was a service charge there because you think they were getting the money because they ain't most of the time. Some of the time they are. Some of the time, most of the time they're not. Now stay with this, Michael O'Donovan. Um, from the Cork VFI. Michael, you've been making more general points on the future of tourism based on the cost of, I assume, everything from hotels to eating out. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. You think yes. costs are going mad anyway, and we're, 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 we're headed for trouble here? Yeah, look, we've seen huge uh, inflation in our costs over the last couple of months, PJ. Um, you know, our electricity, our gas, 
Um, look, we've all seen it at the petrol pump when we see the prices going uh, every week. They're they're going up, you know, a cent, two cent. Um, it has knock-on effects, and you know, like our break-even points are shifting every week, really. And look, talking to a colleague up the country last night, um, he's a restaurant, and you know, he's seen his break-even point going from eleven thousand a week up to nineteen thousand a week um, yeah. since February. So, um, you know, he's trying to hold his costs. Um, the same, but as he said, it's come to a point now where he's losing money, you know, um, I suppose a couple of days every week, and he's saying he's looking at increasing his prices, but that has a knock-on effect then for the tourists. When the tourist comes here, they have a, you know, a set budget of a couple of thousand euros that they're going to spend in a week, and if yeah. they're spending uh, a third of it on accommodation and, you know, a third of it maybe on the car hire and um, and fuel, then there's only a third left to spend on you know, the disposables. So it's all you've having knock-on You've picked two there, Michael, who are both of which are gone mad altogether. The price of accommodation, and look, there are pockets of value there, and I wouldn't want to draw anybody's wrath upon me. I've done it before too many times. There are pockets of value there in the accommodation sector, and that's a given. But an awful lot of it's gone ridiculously expensive. The prices have trebled from this time last year. Car hire is a joke. You could buy a car now for some of of the car hire charges out there. That's going to hurt those two things alone are going to hurt every pub and restaurant in the country. Yeah, it is. Look, PJ, um, as I said, people have a set budget normally when they go on holidays. So if if they're spending more on, um, you know, some items, obviously uh, there's going to be less spent on others. And unfortunately, at the moment, we're the ones that are feeling it uh, because we're the ones that they're cutting back on. You know, instead of having in the bar or restaurant to start their main course, they might just have the main course. Uh, for me in the bar industry, you know, instead of having three or four drinks, they're only having one or two drinks. So mm-hmm. it's it's putting it's putting more pressure on us, you know. And like, um, look, we're asking the government to seriously have a look at the the VAT rates, you know, for the well, number one, to hold the nine percent VAT rate. It is there until next February, but like we're asking them to continue it on to 2025, so to give us some certainty and some help because it does create jobs, and we know that it has b- before. And also to have a look at the VAT rate on our electricity, mm. our gas, on fuel, because it's now we need the help. You know, they're talking about doing the budget in October, but, you know, in October, a lot of my colleagues mightn't be here. Yeah, the season will be well and truly over. Yeah, and, you know, you know, we've come out of two years. This summer was seen as, you know, trying to get back to normality, trying to, I suppose, generate a cash flow, because for a lot of our colleagues, especially in the tourist um, uh, side of the business, you know, they have until maybe mid late September, and then they have to survive until next March before they'll see the tourists again. So if they're if they're if they're seeing their cash flow going down this time of the year, you know, it's going to be a mighty struggle for them when they get to October, no. November, December, January, February Mike, next year. Yeah, Michael, you're a member of a very strong and powerful lobby group. You're a senior member of that very strong and powerful lobby group, the VFI. Have ye turned around at all to the Hotels Federation and say, ah, lads, give over? No, look, I suppose... Uh, Why not? They have to... I, well, look, I was talking to colleagues in it, they have the same uh, challenges, I suppose, PJ, but they have to fight their corner, you know, talking with them. They have their costs that are spiralling as well out of control, yeah. is what they're saying. So, um, I look, I can't answer for them, uh, PJ. They're a different organisation, but sure. I can only fight for myself and my colleagues. Um, but, yeah, look, it, it well, is... That's just it, the point, Michael. You know, a group like the VFI does have the muscle 
to stand up to the Hotel Federation and say, lads, nothing has tripled. I know your I know your costs have gone up so have ours, but nothing has tripled. Why is the room the, the price of a room three times what it was last year? Yeah, look, PJ, we have had look, I suppose some conversations, but look at the end of the day, they have to make their decisions for their business, and um, but it does have a knock-on effect to the rest of us. Okay, all right, leave it there. Thanks very much, Michael. Um, that's uh, Michael O'Donovan, chair of the Cork City VFI. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. The Cove Summer Swing takes place on Sunday, the 3rd of July. A day full of family entertainment. There'll be live music, arts and crafts, food stalls and lots more. And it all kicks off on Cove Promenade from 10am. You can find out more about the event on Cove Summer Swing on Facebook. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Lots of your comments and input on things like tips and the cost of living and the government's refusal to even think about an emergency budget. I will come back to those uh, before the end of the hour, but I want to get to the subject of special needs education and placement of children in special needs education. And recently, the government, uh, the minister involved, uh, Josepha Madigan, has, she went and she named a number of schools who had refused to open classes for children with additional needs. There is legislation there, I think Richard Bruton brought it in, uh, to force schools to take on a class and now the government is working on more legislation to force it. Let's bring in Adam Harris, the CEO of As I Am. Adam, you're one of a number of, of groups uh, behind this, but uh, pushing for, for more schools to be forced to take classes. But just clarify that with me. I thought Richard Bruton brought that law in. So what's Josepha Medican at? Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and thanks for having me on the show. Um, When we talk about the School Admissions Act of 2018, that did give the minister the power to compel a school to open a special class, and that power is called Section 37A. The problem is the power was greatly watered down by vested interests in the education system, and as a result, it can take 18 months for that process to actually run. It's a 13-step process, and really the only winner in it is on post because there's letters that fly backwards and forwards between the department and schools. I actually think the legislation as it stands now really captures what the problem is. For years and years and years, we've had the department blaming schools, and we've had schools blaming the department. But what really needs to happen now is the adults in the room need to provide the rights of a child. Every child has a right to be educated in a mainstream school in their locality. What this law will now do is it will clarify that no school can opt out of inclusion. And it's very clear that schools around the country have done that, unfortunately. But equally, it will make very clear that the, that the department has the power to create the classes and will have to now effectively forward plan. So what I hope is that this will be the last summer in which families across Ireland have no clue where their child is going to school in September. Yeah, because I've spoken to countless families over all too many years, Adam. Every single September, every single year, there's no place. But you know the most heartbreaking thing that I talk to parents about? It's parents with, with two youngsters. And one yes. gets out of the family car and goes into the local school with their little bag. And the second kid is going 20, 30 miles. That's just wrong. Will this law stop that? It's just discrimination. And I think in the Ombudsman's report, um, which was published last week, about 15,000 children at present are, are travelling outside of their locality to go to school. That's right. I think this will, will, 
this will bring it to it this there's no reason why this power shouldn't bring it to an end within the legislation that was published last night there's another power that will also give the ncse the ability to instruct a school to enroll a child into the school i think that's quite important because what it should mean now is that the ncse and the department will have all the tools they need to provide the places and really it just won't be acceptable if the forward planning that's required isn't delivered it's very clear that there hasn't been effective forward planning by the ncse I also want to say that it's in many respects this is a sad day because I think it's a very sad day when you have to publish legislation to force inclusion. This is something people should want to do. This is something that people should feel mm. morally obliged to do. But I think unfortunately that's where we've gotten to. I don't by any means suggest that it's the only solution. What I think we'll need to follow very swiftly after this passage of this legislation is that schools who are compelled to open classes are given whatever support they need to make sure the places actually work. Because as we know, getting the actual place is only the first step. You then need to make sure the supports are there so that the place works for the child. The other thing that you need to make sure that's there, Adam, is SNAs. And we, we currently have a ridiculous situation where you have three and four children sharing the one SNA. So there's already a shortage of SNAs in the system. If you create all these classes, you're going to have to recruit hundreds, if not thousands of SNAs. Absolutely. And as somebody who had an SNA in school, I know better than anyone how important having that person yeah. By your side, that's why I asked you. Is it's it's so so important, and I think, unfortunately, what we have seen in recent years is families really not have certainty around access to SNA support. You know, during the pandemic, we saw the needs of children increase greatly, and that's now playing out in the classroom. So, how we avoid children going on reduced timetables, experiencing school refusal, or just having an awful time in school is by providing SNA support. What I think is quite worrying is we had to wait till the last day in May this year to actually get certainty on the allocations. And not only have we had to wait, the allocations that have been provided are based on 2020. And the world is a very different place uh, since 2020. So I think that's absolutely right. In, in, in special classes, it's important to say that every class gets two uh, SNAs automatically, but often they will need SNAs over and above that number as well. Yeah. So there's no doubt there's going to have to be a concerted recruitment drive over the summer. Yeah. Just one thing with regard to the department um, forcing schools to take on classes where they haven't been willing to do so before. You might have and I'm not endorsing this for a second, in fact, I can't understand why, but you might have some schools where they just don't want to do it. Now, that's not a good starting point for any child to be in a class that the school doesn't want it, doesn't want to have. I, I think that's absolutely true. Um, I still don't think that we can accept that as, a, as an excuse. No. And I think the law is a tool, I think, to hold people to account. We've had a lot in this country, and I think we've particularly seen it in areas such as Dublin and Cork, which have kind of consistently been problem areas whereby you'll have a school kind of say, you know, the school up the road is much better at that. And we need to get beyond this idea that special education is some kind of mysterious specialist area and towards the idea that all teachers should be willing to teach all children. So it's definitely not. And that's why I think as well as just putting in place the places that are required, there is a review of the EPSN Act this year. That's the Education of Persons Special Education Needs Act. That law was passed in 2004 and 18 years later, it hasn't been fully commenced. So as a result, a lot of the supports children receive in school are on a grace and favour basis from the school and from the department. That's not good enough. We have to talk about children's rights. And one of the things we'll be pushing for within the Epson review 
is much stronger levels of accountability for schools in how they manage their special education resources, but also in terms of how they actually support children in school. We still see dreadful situations of, you know, children literally punished for experiencing sensory overload, for having a meltdown. And we need to get beyond that and actually realise that we're never talking about a problem with the child. We're talking about problems within the environment that need to be changed to meet the child's needs. Yes, meltdowns don't happen. They're caused. You need to find the cause. Exactly. Okay. Adam, leave it there. Adam, thank you. Adam Harris from As I Am, also supporting this particular development. There's a few groups uh, supporting it. There's the National Parents Council, primary section, and there's the Special Classes and Schools Ireland. They've all welcomed the government's move on this emergency legislation, which will cut that time that Adam said was uh, 18 months, cut it down to between six and eight weeks ideally. Caller says, help me out here. There's primary teachers, there's SNAs, and they're also a special needs teacher. So how does the SNA and the SN teacher, you know what, caller, it's complex. Uh, There are, you're right, there are special needs teachers, particularly specialised special needs teachers, correct, but there's also the SNA, which is special needs assistant, and they are brilliant people who go into a regular class, or indeed into a special class, but go into a regular class with a child that has uh, additional needs. But there is special needs teacher, you're right, and there's also special needs assistant. Thank you for that caller. Uh, 0818 96 96 96. Let me just clear one or two things because we are busy this morning. I can't believe what I'm hearing. Schools actually opted out of having a special needs class. I guess it's like a lot of things. Not to let knocks at your door. How would you know? That's true. That's true. Trish was talking about the cost of hotels. We got a good deal at a Dublin hotel for September. Booked through Expedia. Flights and hotels for three of us. 1200 for two nights. Ooh. If you consider that good deal... Trish, that's expensive. By Dublin standards, that's it. That's a good deal. Loads of stuff on tips and on that emergency budget and whether we need it or not. I'll get to them. 0818 96 96 96. When we're adoring Adele, are you thinking, it's not easy on me? And has our love of Justin Bieber got you not wanting to stay? What I want. Tell us the music you want to hear. And what songs should disappear with the Cork's 96FM Music Panel. Take our 10-minute music survey. And you could win a 100-euro penny voucher. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. C96FM.ie On the budget and in need of emergency budget. Look, the budget's four months away, says Kevin. Fuel is still 2.13 and we're being normalised into accepting it. Go check your bank account. Look at the price of your weekly shop in January and compare it to June. It's not levelling off. People can't wait four months, especially people on a fixed income. It's all down to the independents tonight and Labour, and we know they side with the government. Well, actually, Labour, I think, and quite a number of the independents will vote against the government tonight. I think I read, I think I heard or read that Jed Nash, Labour's finance spokesman, he said they will vote against the government tonight. Uh, A lot of the independents will go their own way. On the subject of low pay, says John, the proposal to bring the army into Dublin airport. We're now facing a situation where people offered low pay finally are voting with their feet to escape grinding poverty. And we've literally conscripted another group of workers on low pay to make sure the DAA are not embarrassed. It's not a solution, is it? Mind you, I'm sure the soldiers will do a fine job, just there's something wrong 
with this picture. Another group of people who just don't earn a lot of money. And you know what? Earlier in the year, I was talking about apprentices. And I remember that when I was younger, I had loads of friends who were apprentices. And a lot of them went on to have good jobs in the trades, great jobs in the trades. But the few years you spend as as an apprentice, you know, you're learning as you go, but you are a general dog body and the payment is not good. I'm reading here from the Irish Mirror. uh, Apprentices can't afford deodorant are lugging heavy construction tools on buses for hours and are choosing between essentials like food and fuel because of the cost of living crisis. Uh, Brian Nolan, uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Um, We want more apprentices. We want more tradespeople. If you've tried to get a plumber or a tiler or a chippy or a spark, you know how how short we are of good tradespeople. But if we're not going to pay them to serve their apprenticeships, then they're not going to do it, are they? Well, that is a good point, but I suppose there's a number of factors that are impinging upon the apprenticeships nowadays, uh, cost obviously being the, the, the most um, obvious one. I mean, apprentices have always been in a program that's earn while you learn, and it's been noted that the rates of pay to begin with are quite modest. I mean, they're below the national minimum wage, and I think it's the only opportunity an employer has to employ somebody below the national minimum wage is through a statutory apprenticeship. So it's not taking somebody on and calling them an apprentice, but it's actually having them registered within the apprenticeship system. So, um, like, a construction first-year apprentice is on roughly... Uh, €7, it's a little less, I think it's 6.84 per hour and an electrical apprentice will be on €8.45 for the first year. But the problem we find is employers don't raise them when they're supposed to. So rather than starting an apprentice on day one, some employers will put a probationary period in here, which isn't allowed for under the minimum wage, it's not allowed for in the apprenticeship, but they'll put individuals on for three, three months, six months, nine months, we found them even longer on these low rates of pay. So there's an extended period of this hardship on the low rate of pay, which is against the law, quite frankly, because these rates are protected, but they must increase year on year. So on that basis, when the individual's in the apprenticeship, they're not paying out like total level education. They are earning something. It's not that significant, and I appreciate that. But it should move very quickly, year on year on year. So they do move up through the ranks in terms of increases year on year, but there are stealth charges that are out there. There's student yeah. charges. They don't get tax relief on these things either. So there's yeah. a lot of should, factors. I should have mentioned you're, you're with the Connect Trade Union who represent a lot of these young people. And, and I get it. It's, it's, you know, it's a different kind of education. It's, it's earn how you learn. But in, in 2022, Brian, the, the thought that anybody would start their first year learning a trade on less than minimum wage... That's the thing, I, I would think a union like yours should be jumping mm. up and down around. It is It is a conversation piece, and we do take the lead from our members. We're an extremely democratic organisation, and we give free membership for apprentices, so we do urge them all to join the union, but we also urge them to have the conversation with the union. And of course, if you ask an individual would they like more money, the answer will always be yes. So you do have to debate the merits of any claim on industry for more, but it is a conversation piece within Connect Trade Union that maybe the day where the initial rate of pay which was used to attract employers into the, the programme as much as it was individuals um, mm. allowed for rates of pay and the word, it, it is of a different era I mean the, yeah. the word to this fair like I'm, I'm surprised that a trade union and I'm not I'm not taking you on or I'm just surprised sure. that a trade union would stand over a situation where a young lad of, of 18 or 19 in his first year 
say, as a carpenter or, yeah. or, or a plumber or whatever, that he'll earn more selling tea bags and sausages in Centra than he will learning a skill and and working hard on a building site. That I can't get that. I can't get my head around how how that's right, Brian Nolan. Well, well, I'll put it back to you and say I can't guarantee what an individual gets paid in Centra for starters. But I would minimum say wage, minimum wage, Brian. You know that. You yeah, know well, that. well, you know we do have employers and we do have cases before the WRC where employers don't pay. What I can say to you is that within the industries we represent workers, which is construction, electrical and mechanical contracts, and where the bulk of apprenticeships are, they are legally binding rate to pay and they are protected and there are other benefits beyond just the hourly rate of pay. But they're beneath the minimum wage. Why would any youngster get into something and not even have the dignity of minimum wage? Why would he do well, that? Because this is an alternative pathway. It's the alternative degree programme. Individuals that sign up for college have a huge outlay and they invest four years of their life and leave it out a penny. Individuals that take on the apprenticeship, it's earned while they learn, both in employment and in education. And it's a pathway to earning significant money. And it absolutely is. I mean, the qualified rate for a plumber or electrician is circa €25 Euro per hour, plus overtime sure. rates, plus guaranteed hours sure. per week. So there's absolutely. a lot of stability in it. And in the individuals invest in the apprenticeship in their own right. I'm not suggesting that, and I did say this, that it is a conversation piece but about increasing the first year uh, rate of pay. But there's two sides to an argument here. There's an industry that likes to suppress the rate of pay as well, and we do have to negotiate with those and fight for everything we get. So it's not a case of the union accepting. I mean, we fought for every incremental change for apprentices and craft workers, and we continue to do that quite successfully. But mm. as I say, there is a difference between employment on its own right, working in Centra, and I mean this with the sure. greatest respect that anyone that does an honest day And I just chose Centra. Centra, it could be anywhere. Absolutely, and hands up, my own daughter works in Centra in Dublin, so I fully understand, but the point I'm making is individuals are using an apprenticeship as an education path as much as a job today or tomorrow, and it's a career path for these individuals, and we welcome that, and that's not to justify that, but it is the reality of that system over individual employment. So the other cost factors that are out there, which we think are very unfair, is there is an apprentice student charge when they go to third level institutes, yet these mm. kids are paying through the PRSI International Training Fund. So there is a heavy suppression on the apprentices. They don't get tax relief. They can't avail of the SUSE grant. There's a lot of implications. And I, I, I'd also argue that not every apprentice is 16, 17 or 18. We do have young men and women with families who want to be apprentices. So we fully identify the difficulty with the wage that is paid. But I would say one thing. We negotiate minimum rates of pay. There are lots of our members who get well in excess of that as a first-year apprentice. Indeed. These are minimum, Indeed. legal minimum. But the, minimum way, the, min, the minimum rates of pay <clears throat> that you negotiate, I, I again, I'm, 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 look, I'm a trade union member myself since 1989, right? Like, I, I, I cannot understand how a trade union accepts less than the basic legal minimum wage for any member it represents at any point. It's the legal minimum within the sector. There are different minimum wages, and that's important to say. So in construction, there is one minimum wage, and the apprentice uh, rate is a percentage of that. In but isn't there a state national minimum? There is, but it's by law, it's not for areas covered by uh, sectoral employment order or apprenticeship. And it is the one area where historically, and bear in mind, priority rates of pay being put on the table for apprentices, Apprentices were indentured. People paid to have their 
children educated. Agreed. No, no, I remember that, but thankfully those days are gone. No, no, absolutely. But but when you ask why would the union not settle for it, we haven't settled for it. And we have it at the point where apprentices rates are growing and they are growing. And of course, the target is to get above and beyond the, na- the national minimum wage. Absolutely. I mean, we have to be reasonable in terms of our approach, even for the craft workers. And, and with inflation that's out there, you know, we know everyone is pinned to the collar and we are fighting for people to get as much as they possibly can in the context yeah. of having a sustainable uh, uh, sector for the individuals to work in. Because a teenager now, and, and again, I'll, okay, I'll focus on the 1920-year-olds, although I do accept your point, yeah. there are many other people in there. You can go into a call centre now and do three 12-hour shifts, 36-hour working week, and you'll be paid uh-huh. possibly over the minimum wage. Like you, That's right, that's right, you would. But to be fair, when somebody joins an apprenticeship and you know, looks at the, the end goal, the end goal is not to be working the 12-hour shift in a call centre for the same money in three years' time or four years' time or four years' time. Agreed. So Agreed. each year there's an incremental increase. Uh, and, and when they qualify, they'll reach the, the, the height of that uh, mm. pay scale. And, and they are significant rates of pay. And there's a lot of opportunities for individuals, you know, working on some yeah. of the larger projects, some of them uh, make significant earnings. Um, so it's not about settling for that rate of pay. It's a transitional rate from having never been involved in a craft to being educated and working at for, for 12 months, and then you move on to a rate that's in excess well, of that minimum wage. Well, well, to be fair now, and come back to, I, I did have some work done here uh, in Coogan Towers a couple of years ago, and one of the lads who was in and out with the team was a young apprentice, and we sure. got talking about this, you know, and I mean, he was yeah. doing all the mucky jobs as apprentices do, and we got chatting about it over a coffee one day in the kitchen, and I said to him, Mr. Pay, and he looked, he said, the pay's all right. And this, the company he said, they look after me, to be fair. He said, I, I can't complain. But he said, what I'm getting is a fantastic education and a trade that will take me to my retirement. And I thought, there is a side to that that you have to take into account too. Brian, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed our conversation. Brian Nolan uh, the, from the Connect Trade Union, which represents apprentices around the country. Your thoughts? I, I, I'm still adamant, though, that an apprentice, carpenter, electrician or plumber should be going in to start at no less than the national minimum wage. What is it at the moment? 10.60 or 10.70 an hour? I should probably know it off the top of my head. But whatever it is, there should be no apprentice on their first day on a building site working for less than that. That's my thought. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've been called stupid for less, but, but you know the deal. 0818 96 96 96. We've got Olivia Rodrigo down in Live at the Marquee tonight. Elton John uh, is in the park on Friday. We had Sheik were brilliant last night. I'm going mad that I missed Sheik last night down the marquee. We had the Pet Shop Boys. We had Dermot Kennedy in Musgrave Park. We had Luz Capaldi in Musgrave Park. We had the Coronas. You name it. We've had such wonderful music this summer. And we brought back, by popular demand, Cork's 96M exclusive online station, the Back Garden Festival, to go along with it. All the biggest hits from all the headline acts of the summer. Brought to you by Harvey Norman and JBL your specialist in sound this summer. You can listen now. It's on the app or you can pop over to 96fm.ie. Let me just hear a couple of your comments before we head for the news because we have been busy on all the platforms this morning. Um, just come up there. My friends, people doing community employment are basically working for nothing. It's cheap labour. It's a scam now at the cost of living. We get job seekers allowance but we should be on at least three hours, three euro an hour more. We're working 19 and a half hours a week. It's cheap labour and 
a scam. If you went to college to learn to be a plumber, you'd be you'd pay to be taught so you could look at that when you're an apprentice you're coming knowing nothing and you're being taught just another viewpoint yes i i I, I see that point i i just look i've been a trade union member all of my own life and i cannot understand why anybody starting work in any form would not be paid at least the national state minimum wage. Convince me otherwise that that's a bad idea if you want to at 0818-969696. When we're enjoying Elton John and Dua Lipa, are you getting a cold heart? Has our love for Dermot Kennedy made you hope better tunes are coming? What I want. Tell us the music you want to hear. And what songs should disappear with the Cork's 96FM Music Panel. Take our 10-minute music survey. And you could win a 100 euro pennies voucher. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 969696. 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The opinion line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Yeah, live from Studio 1.5 for this couple of days. Don't worry, I'm perfectly fit and well. Just, uh, off-site for a day or two, so thanks to Wayne for his additional help with this couple of days. Uh, on the subject of apprentices, Megan was on. She said, my partner's been on an apprenticeship since mid-pandemic, went back after graduating with a degree to do what he really loves. Still no word of his first college placement. His course isn't even in Cork, so the cost of diesel comes into everything else. And he's an adult with responsibility and bills to pay. And then I did my apprenticeship over 30 years ago. I'm now self-employed, earning a good living. If I'd gone to work in Centre, I'd still be there on minimum wage. That's kind of not the point I was making. I was making the point that a first-year apprentice... Is it right that a first-year apprentice working full-time on a site, on a building site, work, doing hard work in all weathers, <clears throat> excuse me, all year round, should actually be earning less than a person on a till in Central. Should that be the case? And a person on the till in Central works hard or Supervalue or Duns or Tesco's or Aldi or anywhere. Let's not single one out. Someone working on a till, someone working behind a bar, someone working in any kind of a service retail at all, they get a certain minimum wage guarantee to them. The first year apprentice out on a building site in rough weather in the winter and hot weather in the summer you know, and paying for tools and paying for diesel and buses and stuff, should they really, should it really be acceptable that they are earning less than the person on the till anywhere you want? Brian says the unions sacrificed travel time to work uh, to negotiate a pay rise in 2017 so you can be sent to work anywhere and travel on your own time add in the fuel costs and it's very tough thanks for that 0818 96 96 96 now how did you sleep last night me I slept very well last night I should say how did you sleep and then do you have a time in the day where try as you might you're going to get a slump we all laugh and joke about the, the three o'clock three o'clock slump but 
it's a thing and you can be sometimes as well you can feel like you've slept well so you could wake up and say oh, there I had a decent night's sleep and then you're tired you're fo- you can't focus you're fuzzy and say hang on I slept well last night had a good long sleep last night why am I like this and maybe it's to do with the phases of sleep and the patterns of sleep because typically there's more to just sleeping than putting your head on the pillow and try not to snore. Tom Coleman is a health scientist and a sleep coach. There's a whole science about sleep, Tom, and I want to look at it for a few minutes. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks very much for having me on, PJ. There is indeed. Um, I think the first thing you know you kind of touched on there is our interpretation of our sleep, self-reporting, and it it tends not to be accurate believe it or not, you know, yeah. Um, when we wake up. Because unless we, 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 we get properly kind of tested to examine our sleep pattern, uh, we can misinterpret how well we slept and kind of understanding mm. that there's a lot of different elements to that. Like I made a point there yesterday talking to someone, I, I haven't slept well on a Sunday night, and I honestly say in, in over 20 yeah. years, because yeah. it's just a thing. Sunday night is not a good night's sleep for me. It, maybe it's to do with the stresses of facing into a new working week on Monday morning. But Monday, yeah. I wake up very sharp and ready and prepared for the week. But by by Monday afternoon, I am tired, Tom. Even though I, yeah, you know, what's yeah. causing that to happen? Well, it's it's firstly it's known as Sunday night fever. What you're experiencing, it's kind of <laughs> okay. we, we know we're, we're looking ahead to the week, and it's kind of you know in the back of our minds that we've a busy week, and it's you know it's the end of the weekend, so, so that's Sunday night fever, and then that may be impacting the quality of your sleep. You're kind of on alert to some maybe uh, threat, if you wish, or kind of danger there, maybe, and then you know you're you're straight into Monday morning, and then it hits if you haven't if your sleep quality was impaired um, then you know you may be experiencing sleepiness or grogginess now also within our what's known as your circadian rhythm or your body clock there are natural dips in energy like you mentioned yeah. there and, and and there is that tendency in the afternoon now that's that's our, how we're designed we're designed to be very sharp and active in the mornings and then as the afternoon comes in you know the chemical yeah. signature in the body starts to drop off and it's time to start unwinding really yeah what are the phases of sleep um and the patterns of sleep and can we improve our own phases yeah i mean firstly the we sleep in 90 minute cycles okay so generally and the reason the recommendation for sleep is generally seven to eight hours is that would be about five 90 minute cycles per night okay and the 90 minute cycles you know we we go from we kind of drift into stage one sleep and some people don't even realize they're in stage one sleep and stage two then you fall deeper the heart rate drops the blood pressure the breathing your body temperature drops and, and that drop in temperature causes a rise in melatonin sleep uh, neurotransmitter and that pushes you then into the deepest aspect of your sleep stage three and four right. and then you dream and that's rem phase and rem phase is a light phase um and then we go we go back again now your first 90 minute cycle your dream phase is only five to ten minutes and this changes for every cycle. And by the time you reach your fifth cycle, your dream phase is up to an hour. So what's that telling us is that as the night goes on, your sleep is actually getting lighter and lighter. And there's, there's a lot happening 
Because I would have thought, Tom, and I guess most people would have thought that the dreaming sleep, that's the deepest part of your sleep, but that's not the case. No, that's not the case. It's 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 in, it, you know we're, it's actually close to a waking state in terms of the activity that's going on. Of course, we're we're in a state of paralysis, um, self-induced paralysis, uh, because we, we don't want to be acting out our our um, our dreams or our, our muscles are to some degree paralysed when when we're in that REM state. Um, there's a, there's a great amount of psychological repair, and physical repair and most of the physical repair happens in the first half of the night and the psychological repair happens in the second half of the night okay. and if we're missing out or if we're w- if i get disrupted sleep or if i'm waking up during my light sleep or rem sleep then <clears throat> the from a psychological aspect i'm not getting uh, the full value the sleep mm. efficacy has been impacted sleep quality has been impacted now the next night your brain will hold you in REM sleep or, or, or lighter sleep for longer if you've missed out on that aspect. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now there are many things that we can that we can do that will um, generally help us. And it, I suppose it does depend on the nature of the problem, whether that's sleep inertia or um, you know there's, there's a whole, or a sleep hangover if, if there's a misalignment there. We we, okay, we well, you've just used two terms there now: sleep inertia <laughs> and sleep yeah. hangover. You better start yeah. with the hangover bit. What's that? <laughs> so, um, I think we all know the type of people who like to wait up late, the night owls. Okay, and and then, and then guilty the as charged. Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> uh, guilty as charged. And then the happy chirpy uh, morning people, the, the the early birds, right? Uh, the, um, so. Um, there is a kind of preference there. It's called a chronotype, okay? Now, when we wake, shortly after waking, 30 to 45 minutes, we get this activation. The body activates and we get a pulse of cortisol. Cortisol is like we, we know it as a stress hormone, okay? Mm. And that is basically telling us, get into action, get out there, get calories, survive, learn, uh, you know, because we are creatures who should be active during daylight hours. So if we're night owls and we go to bed much later, and then we, we, we sleep in and we, we kind of miss that um, mm. cortisol peak in the morning. So we, we kind of feel sluggish. So there's, there's a bit of a kind of misalignment there with this, for, the, for, the, for those kind of people. Um, so that would be a kind of you experience a sleep hangover. Right. Um, Is that the kind of groggy feeling that you didn't get enough and it wasn't the right well, type of sleep? If... if, if, if um, if, if you're not aligned correctly, if, or if your if your alarm's going off at the uh, at the wrong time, or you're waking up in the middle of a sleep cycle, that's that's going to cause um, that kind of feeling. Sleep inertia is is where you're. It's kind of like this transition state between being asleep and uh, and being awake, and it's that grogginess you wake up and you feel like, oh my god, I want more sleep. And people, and that can last after you get up for you know 15 or 20 minutes, or it could last for hours. And the way generally people kind of overcome that is they 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 pour coffee into themselves until until they start feeling alive again, you know. Um, so, you know, um, again, and, you know, the cause of that could be um, not getting enough sleep, uh, high levels of adenosine, which is which is a uh, chemical sleep pressure, essentially, the longer you're awake, um, or sudden awakening. So I think it's very important that people start to understand that these 90-minute cycles and yeah. instead of waking up and hitting the snooze button ten times and dragging ah, yourself yeah. out of bed, 
yeah. you know, um, there's a better way to do it. And that would be, I, I call it the reverse snooze button, uh, where you start to settle arms maybe in the even time to unwind, to get away from technology, and to think about, well, if I have to get up at 6 a.m., and I want my five sleep cycles, I should be in bed asleep at half ten, which means I probably should be in bed at ten, which means I should be unwinding, you know, from okay. and so on and so forth. Yeah. So these are the type of things we need to we need to um, learn. Yeah. There's there's another thing that happens, and I suppose most people, Tom, can only talk to you about sleep from their own personal experience. So, sure. So here's here's something that happens. I get into the bed, I'm tired, I'm relaxed, I've been away from the screen. I've taken it nice and easy coming up to the bed. I drop off like a light. And I wake about 40 minutes later as if I've slept for 12 hours and I'm like a newborn. <laughs> what the hell is Look going on you. there? No, no, because <laughs> I, 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 that, like, that's, that's, that's 2 o'clock in the morning. I know I need to sleep some more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's going See, on there? I mean, the transition, like if we are experiencing wake episodes... It's generally it's 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 in a transition. It's, it's in one of the transitions from stage two to three, or, or stage uh, three to four, or you know, in between um, deep sleep and and REM sleep. Well, we tendency would be to wake up at the end of REM sleep, but um, you know that that is 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 when you're waking up. Why that is happening is is another question. Mm. Whether it be like you said, if, if if you're not stressed out, if the if the caffeine levels haven't been too high during the day, because that's certainly that you know that can impact sleep quality and sleep stages as well. Um, if you're unwound cognitively, there's no stress there. Uh, the temperature in the room, all of that kind of stuff. Um, one of the things you could do is is kind of set an alarm uh, to wake up five or ten minutes into your sleep, and this would, would reduce that type of um, waking. Yeah, there's a term I want you to explain before we let you go, Tom. And, and we'll, we'll talk to you again because it's a fascinating area. Um, what is sleep hygiene? Sleep hygiene is, I suppose, the way I describe sleep hygiene is is everything you do throughout the day will inform your sleep in some way. So sleep hygiene is things like light exposure. We have this innate body clock. It's approximately 24 hours, and we, we need um, Zeitgerbers or time givers from outside. So light, food, uh, things like stimulants and sedatives, looking after all of these things, um, exercise, all of these things will influence our sleep heavily. So these are the, the habits throughout the day. So, so how you behave during the day affects yes. the night's sleep you're going to have. Exactly, and a, and a great way oh. to to start the day and anchor your sleep is getting full light exposure because that's telling the brain what time yeah. it is, and then it anchors your sleep and it sets the timer for melatonin. Ensure that you're not um, drinking too much coffee, <clears throat> that you're not stressed out. The cortisol levels aren't high in the in the afternoon and evening. Um, good routine, going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time, sleep regularity. That's known. So all of these things are your sleep hygiene these good positive habits the cognitive wind down keeping away from the technology all that type of stuff is your is your sleep hygiene okay so you get you, you get out of your sleep lastly you get out of your sleep what you put into it exactly sleep is something that we should be thinking about from the moment we wake up not 
10 minutes before bed. <laughs> Go, okay. oh, better, you know, we, most of us are, are arrive in bed wired and tired and, and, and that, you know. So we have to look after the things we're doing during the day for getting lots of light, lots of exercise. We're not overstimulated. Uh, and we found many ways, PJ, to, to overstimulate ourselves these days, haven't we, between technology we have, and work. We have, and you've again, so. you, you, yeah. the, the light thing I like, we'll come back to it another time, the light and the circadian rhythms I like. Uh, we'll come back to that another day. But Tom, thank you very much. Tom Coleman is a health scientist and sleep coach. There's a skill in it. And tonight's night's sleep that you'll get or not get, you're preparing for today in terms of your sleep hygiene. Here's the thing I just throw out there. Do you sleep better this time of the year or in the depths of winter? I sleep much better at this time of the year because, and Tom just made it there, light. Light. And I keep my windows open and I'm waking up with sunrise. I love the light. I'm a creature of the light. The more light I can get this time of the year, the better for me. And I sleep better as a result of it. 0818 96 96 96. Stuff coming in still on apprentices. Uh, hi, my partner is now a fully qualified mechanic. He found it so hard getting through the wages all the way up to his qualified rate, though, with a young family at home. Mechanics are the lowest paid trade. It's very disappointed when you're not appreciated at work and you get only 520 a week. The lads sitting at the desk selling cars is earning more money than the mechanic. All other trades get more money. The industry isn't regulated, so every Tom, Dick and Joe can fix their own car. But the likes of electricians are regulated and need to be certified. He chose mechanics because of his passion for cars and he is hard working. But he was also earning the same money working in the shop with a top-up from Family Income Supplement. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. Now, the term gifted kids is, or gifted children, is bandied around a lot in society. Um, some children are truly gifted, though, and they progress faster in academia and they do better. But that can lead to all sorts of problems as well in their lives because if you have a, an intellectual or academic gift, it can be difficult for you. And there's a lot of work being done by a place called the Centre for Talented Youth Ireland. And uh, I'm joined by Dr. Colm O'Reilly, who is the director. Colm, good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Nice. Thanks for having me on. Good. Delighted to have you on. Talk to me about the work that you do first and the children that come to your centre. So we deal with students aged 6 to 17 and they come and take courses and classes at our university but also at various places around the country. So there are classes in UCC and in UL. So uh, these sometimes at primary school will take Saturday morning classes and then subsequently they'll take summer courses in Dublin, sometimes at secondary school where they can stay residentially. And normally they would take courses of things that they would not do in school, like, say, medicine or law or engineering or things that would, they'd normally study at third level. Right. So we're talking maybe about, what, 13 and 14-year-olds studying college courses? Yeah. Like, we kind of find that, obviously, look, we, we've just published a report recently, which is the first kind of psychological profile of gifted students. And uh, we found that academically they were saying in school, 
they weren't being challenged enough or they couldn't go into enough depth in the subjects that they were interested in, which is not really a surprise when you think about it because the level of the curriculum probably wouldn't be challenging enough for them. Some of the interesting findings, though, were more on the social side of things in relation to some of the difficulties they have feeling under pressure at certain points and also uh, related to other people perceiving them as different when they find out they're gifted or have high ability. That's where I was going to go with, because I'm aware that the existence of, of that report and some of the findings are interesting. Like, some of them fear rejection. Like, children who are academically gifted and doing all this extra stuff, they enjoy it. The, the actual curriculum is too dull and too boring for them. They enjoy doing the extra stuff. But there's a fear of rejection among them. Yes, I think this is, it comes back to a theory that started in the 90s. It's a really interesting one, which is called the stigma of giftedness. And uh, this was devised by this guy, uh, Tracy Cross and uh, Lawrence Coleman. And they discovered this theory that when somebody discovers you're gifted, they'll treat you differently. And the, the, the students themselves feel isolated and feel different because of this. And a lot of them want to kind of have good peer relations. They want to get on with their friends. They want to have normal social interactions. So in those instances, they feel that giftedness hinders them in that capacity. So some of them will go to great lengths to hide their ability. And we, we talked a little bit in the study about the kind of scenario, which I know a lot of people are familiar with around tests. So you might have a very bright student. He does the test, does really well. After the test, the other students are going, that was really hard. Did you think it was really hard? And a lot of the time they'll lie and say, yes, it was really hard. I found that really difficult, even though yeah. they didn't, because they want to fit in with their peers and they don't want them to perceive them as different. And is it a thing, Colm, as well, that, you know, they, you might be gifted, you might be, you might have a brilliant brain for maths and physics at, at 14, but you're still 14 uh, in, in, yes. in other senses. I, I think that this is a very critical point that you're making there, and this is... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. This is why, look, I obviously advocate for certain programs for high ability students, but I think that this is where this is very important. I think that what we need to do is to have like these students, exactly as you're saying, you might be brilliant at maths, might be brilliant at physics. But they need to have opportunities with other kids who are good at maths and good at physics where they can excel in that academic environment but equally socially they can talk about astronomy maybe or things that they're interested in in relation to maths and that that socially gives them a lot of comfort and they don't feel as isolated as they might be discussing these things in a regular school classroom where people are going 
we're not interested in that. We want to talk about something else. And I think that what we would try and do... Sorry, walk around any given group of 14-year-olds or 15-year-olds that you'll meet in the street and listen to their conversations. Not many of them are talking about simple harmonic motion. No, no, definitely not. So I think that what happens is a lot of bright students in that instance will adapt to their environment in the context that they'll, they'll just go into what other people are talking about and leave their interests to the side in relation to that. But what we found in the study was that some of them really struggle with this and struggle with kind of finding a middle ground that they can you know, get on with their peers in relation to it. And it is a kind of a shame when you think of it that if you're really talented in a particular area or you have a high interest in it, that you've nobody really to discuss that with or nothing to chat about. Like we all gravitate towards people we have things in common with. Like if you like the same sports, if you like the same music, if you like the same TV shows, you kind of have a lot in common with them. But I think in relation to sometimes with bright kids, it's difficult because what their interests on mightn't be in the mainstream and therefore they probably need to talk to other people who are interested in the same things as themselves. And the teenage years are a very delicate set of formative years anyway. So if it's a thing that you you have this gift, but you can't be a teenager at the same time, a regular teenager who sometimes just wants to play football, you're, in, in future life, can that affect your mental health? Can that affect your, your, your sense of well-being in future life? It definitely can, you know. Um, the study was very interesting in the context that, look, we all want to, in, in a sense, group like high ability into one particular category and say, oh, they're all like this. But we found, like, academically, that might be the case in relation to what they're interested in on their subject fields. But socially, they were very diverse. Some were very resilient and able to deal with um, stressful situations and did very well in them. And that would be give them very positive mental health and be helpful for them later when they deal with stuff that's more difficult or they do things that are more challenging. But we found about 30% really had difficulties managing these situations. And they are definitely ones who you have to look out for in relation to yeah. exactly as you're talking, their mental health and their mental well-being. Because these find it very difficult to cope in challenging, stressful social situations. And, and a, a really good example is uh, was actually one of the kids from the report said, you know, I might do some, a, a research project or a test in school and I get 10 comments and nine of them are very positive and one is negative and I will spend the next week concentrating on that negative comment. You know, and that's very difficult for that person to deal with and it's, it's a, a quite a common feedback that we hear from yeah. high ability students who struggle in, in pressure environments. Although that tends to be some part of the human condition in general, isn't it, Colm? You know, we all do that. We all look down and oh, you see the one negative comment and that's the one you focus upon. In gifted kids, is that maybe more? Do they do, they do that more? I, I think they do in relation to, we've done some studies on perfectionism, you know, and that that's very common in perfectionist gifted students, that they're very focused on negative and on they're, they're incapable of handing up uh, work because they don't feel it's perfect. 
they can't really do stuff that's difficult because they think that they need to know everything about it and they won't kind of do something where, oh, I'll do my best and see how I get on, get some feedback and I can do better the next time. It has to be perfect the first time. And these people really struggle when they're in stressful or pressure situations. And it, it heightened, some of the studies found, it's heightened in female high ability students and uh, who really want to control their environment, if you understand. So they get yeah. very stressed and pressured in, in these situations. I was just looking at that there, I'm going to move on there with you. Are there differences and has your research shown up significant differences between girls and boys in this category? Uh, in in that like you know it's it's interesting relation in relation to say your 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 social awareness you know um, we would find and maybe this is anecdotal but it it actually is reflected in research is that particularly at a younger age and in teenage years girls are more aware of their social situations than boys relatively obviously there's some boys who are very socially aware some girls who aren't socially aware but the general research trends that girls are more socially aware in situ social situations than boys. Therefore, that can have a positive effect in the context of, you know, understanding social dynamics and being a part of groups. But for some students, that can have very negative connotations because they really then are overly worried about standing out from their peers. They're overly worried about uh, being different in any context. And therefore, they'll hide their ability in those instances. They'll feel under pressure to achieve at certain levels. And, and that's a kind of a dangerous scenario related to that. Whereas you do find with boys, in certain situations, they're quite oblivious to the social norms related to them, high-ability boys at certain levels. And therefore, this kind of passes them by a little bit. But the girls are overly conscious and therefore don't do as well in that situation for fear of ridicule or rejection from their peers. So how do parents help with a gifted child in their teenage years especially what should parents be aware of i, th I think that's a, that's a brilliant question right that's kind of our net like that was actually the number one finding that we came out related to what are we going to do next how are we going to organize support for parents in that instance um, and its strategies and stuff to help them i think a very interesting one was actually the, the author of the one of my co-authors of the report from America was talking in relation to their own child, uh, one of their own kids who's very talented and a, they have three boys and a girl right the, but the girl they were saying that the feedback they gave to them was I want you to do your best just like they're both psychologists they, they kind of thought this through I want you to do your best and she later on she said I interpreted that to mean I want you to get straight A's and everything and we won't be happy if you don't and it's this kind of idea that what you're saying one thing and they're hearing something totally different. And we have to kind of be careful relation to the messages that we give to these students and also how we perceive they understand them. So okay. it's a timely okay. thing that you're saying there. We're going to start putting on, like, say, support uh, talks for parents and strategies for them yeah, to help great. their their high ability children in their teenage years and if you're doing any of those in or around Cork we'd love to hear more I think it comes back to Cullum lastly to say well, I, the point I was probably making in a very cumbersome way earlier on you might be 14 and absolutely brilliant at physics maths and chemistry but you're still just 14 yeah, I think this is what we call asynchronous development, you know, that yeah. um, you're developed incredibly uh, well academically in, yeah. in that context, 
but it doesn't match related to your social development and that that causes huge conflict in your life in relation to how okay. you adjust and, and do things and, 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 and some people definitely deal with it much better than others. Okay, We really appreciate your time today, Dr O'Reilly. It's a fascinating report and it's something we might co- come back to because there are quite a lot of gifted kids around but they're just kids at the end of the day and we need to be to treat them as kids. They're gifted kids but we need to treat them just as kids. Dr Colin O'Reilly, Director of the Centre of Talented Youth at DCU, Dublin City University. 0818 96 96 96. Access all areas on Cork's 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Patrick Murray is one of the top acts around Ireland at the moment, a favourite at all our comedy clubs, and also an established actor appearing in television on Love Hate. Patrick comes to City Limits this Saturday night with special guests. Access all areas. Played sold out audiences all over the world. Potted Potter, the unauthorized Harry experience, takes on the ultimate challenge of condensing all seven Harry Potter books in just 70 hilarious minutes. It comes to the Everyman Theatre this Friday night. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, or exhibition coming up, or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. With Harvey Norman and JBL. Your specialists in sound this summer. On Cork's 96FM. Cork's 96FM. Whether you're 18 or you're 80, at some point your back will trouble you. Uh, back pain, it's its part of us all. It's the scaffolding that, that holds us up and, and holds us together. And the treatment of back pain costs more than cancer and diabetes treatment around the world. You wouldn't believe that. I've often talked about my little bit of trouble with my back, which is very painful from time to time, but always responds to the right kind of treatment. But back pain is is a huge issue. Um, But is it, what kind of back pain do you have? How do you deal with it? How do you know when you have a problem? Um, And the odd twinge is normal for us all, I would think. Let me talk to Marie Kelly, who's a lecturer in physiotherapy at UCC, uh, about the, the... the back pain situation because you know Marie I think it's common enough we'll all suffer some element of it at some point it is the scaffolding that holds us up and a lot of our listeners will have experienced back pain at some point in their lives what are the main causes of it good morning to you good morning PJ you're absolutely correct most people will experience back pain and it's a bit like getting tired or having a cold while some episodes of back pain can be severe and frightening It's important to remember that most people recover reasonably quickly. And when we say that, we are usually talking about six to eight weeks. And generally, they don't need to see a healthcare professional. While back pain can sometimes be related to a specific injury or a sprain, in most cases, it actually happens for no reason at all. And this does surprise a lot of people. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah, it is. And like we're there's research at the moment to say that there are many other factors that we wouldn't have really previously thought of that are quite important and can be involved. And this includes things like mood, anxiety, fears, poor relationships at work or home, stressful life events and poor sleep. And I suppose it's a little like a headache. You know, with a headache, you can experience significant pain where the biggest factors are not about damaged tissues, 
but are more related to high stress or poor sleep, for example, and how these affect, affect our general health. Is that is like if you slept badly last night, you slept awkwardly, then you could have a sore neck or back today and it'll just work itself out in, in a period of time. Can you tell the difference between the various different types of back pain and from that, when you should worry and when you shouldn't? That's a good question. Thanks very much. Like, I, I suppose in practice, we can divide back pain into one of two categories. The most common category type is not serious. And like I mentioned, generally happens for no reason at all. The second type relates to serious causes of back pain, such as fracture and infection. But thankfully, these are very rare and only occur in approximately one to five percent of cases. Clinicians should be able to identify signs and symptoms, which suggests that this serious condition may be present. And really, in fact, this is one of the first things a clinician will do is screen for these. Yeah. Yeah. when When you need treatment, what are the options then? Well, I suppose in regards to treatment, what we would say is that it's important that people don't rush for treatment as back pain generally gets better itself. For back pain, it's more about trying to find the balance between letting the pain settle while still moving. It's a little like a footballer perhaps who's twisted his or her ankle. Avoiding the aggravating movements and reducing the training for a few days should help. It is important not to fully rest the ankle as it will get stiff and weak. And it's also important that usual daily activities are gradually restarted. And this might be guided by a physio or GP. Right. Unfortunately, a lot of the other treatments that we have, we are not as effective as we once thought. And sometimes the decision to get treatment can lead people to back pain, being referred for costly and ineffective and sometimes harmful tests and MRIs. Or sorry, tests and treatments. Right, right, right. So are you suggesting then, Marie, that most of it, or a good proportion of it at least, is just your back is a bit tired and a bit off and will settle itself? Yeah, I suppose like it's going back to that cold sim- analogy, like often lots of people would get colds and like there's no kind of deeper meaning associated with that you know most people will have a a few colds throughout their life and it's important that back pain is considered like that it doesn't mean usually anything more than a bit like a cold or getting tired again lots of people you know everyone feels tired at certain points in their life and it's about considering other lifestyle factors as well because we do know if someone's under a lot of stress Mm. they are more likely to get back pain if perhaps they're not doing a lot of movement or exercising, they're more likely to get back pain. So it's mm. about considering your overall health and well-being. Okay. And that so yeah, yeah, you're 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 suggesting then that that, that for the most part, um, people will not have to ever worry about drugs or surgery or other things. A bit of physio maybe. Or some exercise, Absolutely. or yeah. it'll all, it'll 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 work. Like as they say in the on on the football pitch, I walk it off, you'll be fine. You you actually can just walk and exercise some back pain, walk it off, and you'll be fine. Absolutely. Now, of of course, I w- we wouldn't say ignore the pain either. You may need to reduce kind of what you're doing a bit like yeah. that footballer with the sprained ankle, but we would definitely recommend that you don't fully rest. 
because that is one of the worst things you can do because then you'll get a lot of stiffness and weakness. Right. But I wouldn't yeah. kind of carry on like it's not happened either, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I would yeah. adjust what you're doing. Yeah. So That's if you do have to go to see a professional, like start by coming to a physio, for example, book, book mm-hmm. a physio or, or, or book, go to see your doctor, for example, or, or exactly. whatever, or go to see a chiropractor, whatever. What, what's, what kind of information will they be looking for? So things that they might ask would be things like, when did you start feeling your back pain? Are there any specific movements that make it worse? Are there specific mm. things or movements that help? What, did it start suddenly or did it start more gradually? How have you been trying to manage your back pain so far? Has this helped? Mm. What things are you doing differently because of your back pain? And importantly, is there anything you cannot do at the moment because of your back pain? Because I suppose one of the mm. main goals of physio is to try and get people back doing everything that they were doing and want to be doing. And yeah. another question that would stem from this would be like, what things do you miss doing since the back pain started? Because sometimes people will have be unable to do certain things. Yeah. And then a, a question in relation to like how much they're exercising or moving. And is this less than perhaps when the back pain started? Yeah. Has the back Are pain different back types pain? of pain more significant than others? Like you know, stabbing pain or a shooting pain or a constant ache. Do different pains indicate different urgency? Um, I suppose what we found is that pain isn't a great indicator of harm or danger because there's a lot of instances where, you know, people will have a lot of pain and then structurally, you know, everything is fine. So, but what I would say is like a stabbing and burning or shooting pain would be more, it would be more irritable, if that makes sense. Mm. It's a little bit more difficult to cope with rather than if something's kind of a constant ache. Yeah. And so people that have those types of pains are more likely probably to see a healthcare professional and um, and perhaps they might find that they're a little bit more concerned about those type of pains but those type of pains in itself wouldn't be unusual they, they would be quite common yeah, and they know, wouldn't you know, in itself suggest anything more sinister or serious yeah. if that makes sense you know sense. these 1 to 10 pain scales like they're mm-hmm. A lot of people don't like them because, let's face it, my five is somebody else's three exactly. you know, exactly. or somebody else's yeah. seven. Do you know what I mean? They're on, but at what point <clears throat> At what point should you start to be worried about mm-hmm. pain? And that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Like the pain is it's very different. It's very personal and does differ from person to person. But I suppose going back to those kind of questions that a physio or a healthcare profession would ask, it's more in relation to how much it's interfering with your day-to-day life, um, how much it's having an impact. You know, have you had to take any time off work? Um, you know, are you not doing a lot of the things that you would previously be doing hobby-wise, perhaps? Yeah. And how that's hmm. having an impact on you. Those are the type of things that would in and itself be more important maybe than the pain okay. scale on its own. Okay. All right. Listen, you've been helpful. Thank you very much for being with me today. That's Marie Kelly. She's a lecturer in physiotherapy at UCC. Most of the back pain is all right, but if it starts to get out of hand, seek, and look, seek professional advice whenever suits yourself, I guess. Come here, there's a new radio station out there. 
that we need to tell you about. It's called Pride Vibes, brought to you by Cork's 96 FM, playing the biggest hits and shining a new light on Irish life with conversations about the issues that matter. And join us online as we count down to parades and celebrations across Ireland. It's on the Cork's 96 FM website or it's on the app or it's at its own website at pridevibes.ie and Pride Vibes is supported by Valterol, the joy of movement. You can listen live now on Cork's 96 FM, 0818 96 96 96. Let me talk about the big idea, Mentor Recruit. Now this is an interesting and exciting one. It's the Big Idea team have come up with a brand new idea. Um, Neve Cooney joins me. She's Head of Development with the Big Idea. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me on. What is the Big Idea Mentor Recruit? Oh, it's it's a big recruitment. So the Big Idea is um, an educational program that's empowering the next generation with creative skills that they'll need to tackle some of the big challenges they're facing and um, some of the big challenges that society and industry is facing. So when we're talking about creative skills, we're talking about those really in-demand skills like problem solving, resilience, empathy, critical thinking, communication and collaboration. And we're teaching them to 15 to 19 year olds at a time where it can really make a big difference. So we worked with 2000 students um, all across Ireland this year, um, including transition year students, U3 students and Leaving Cert applied students. And they were supported by 400 amazing industry mentors from every every industry sector and role you could imagine who supported them on developing their own kind of big ideas, solutions to some of the big stressors mm. in their lives like mental health, climate change and equality. And you're looking for more mentors. We are. We're we're on a mission for next year, so we're aiming to double our numbers and we really want to bring the programme to 4,000 students um, across Ireland next year and that's going to take about 700 to 800 mentors. So... We're really lucky. We have such a great bunch of mentors um, and companies like Creative Ireland and about 39 other partners, including UCC, behind us, who've all um, brought teams of mentors together. People have signed up individually. So we're really on a drive to build out that mentor community that we have and recruit 400 more. What what makes a good mentor, Neve? So for us, a big mentor is anyone who, any professional who uses creative or critical thinking in their roles and wants to help empower the next generation with these really vital skills. It's um, it's not kind of mentoring as you know it. We have our own bespoke platform that it's done through. So we have mentors from actually all over the world, um, every level and a job from graduates through to CEOs. And it's quite, I guess, a flexible and low time commitment with a really big impact. So the key, the key things that mentors do is support students um, on their projects at key points in the program. So when they're yeah. kind of putting forward their pitches, so like their seed ideas, and they really help them there with resources and, you know, signposting them and asking them questions to help develop their ideas. And then at the end, once they've kind of gone and prototyped and developed out these ideas, so really mentors can get involved as little or as much as they want and yeah so for anyone who's interested it's all the information's on our website thebigidea.ie the big button Mm -hmm. there get involved and that's for mentors companies and also schools who are still signing up till september would would a particular mentor be be, sorry to cross you would you be paired with a particular student or do you do like can you choose who you want to be paired with or does does the big idea 
pair you with somebody and how are they matched up? So we do that. So the way the program works is each week the students learn a new skill and they immediately go and they apply that onto their own um, their own big idea project. So they we work with the students, we identify the biggest stressors for them. So as I said, mental health, climate change, equality. So they work on those projects. Um, and then we'll match mentors with about three to five teams in February that are kind of aligned in, you know, they can specify what they might like to be involved in. So we match them and then they get the pitches through so they can see the okay. students thinking and um, what they're looking at. And then they get those same projects back in May so they can see how the students have developed their ideas. Right. So so you would be me- mentored or mentoring a student who had sort of similar interests to your own. Now, also, you could find yourself mentoring someone, I guess, in this new digital world. I could be mentoring someone in Donegal. Absolutely. And that's the beauty of it. So our our mentor community is incredibly diverse and that's really important for us because, you know, we really want students to see all all the roles and opportunities that are are using the skills that they're learning. And it's great for them. They might have, you know, for students, we had three schools in Cork this year, for example. So they might have had mentors who are in Cork, but also mentors who are in New York. So they're getting really different perspectives from each mentor. And that's kind of the beauty of what we're trying to do through the platform is really connect industry and education. And it's not just about mentoring the students on their projects. It's about showing them all the opportunities that are out there and the real life application of these skills, you know, and for students who are in Ireland, knowing that somebody in New York, you know, really cares about what they're doing, that's a massive boost for them. So yeah, yeah, it's really quite exciting. Isn't it incredible how the digital world has changed that, that, you know, I know. You'd be mentored now by somebody in New York, like or or, or Singapore I mean, or wherever. You know, it's it's. it's I mean, incredible. I couldn't have imagined it like when I was younger, but it's it's just it's worked out really well. I think in yeah. terms of that, you know, the platform that we can offer. If anybody's interested in finding out more or even being uh, a mentor, uh, then what Absolutely. do they do? Go yep. to the website. Yep, they go to the website. Um, so we're, as I said, you know, we're onboarding partners and mentors. Um, so www.thebigidea.ie there's a big button that says get involved so if you're in school you'll be directed to the right place mentors and partners or email us at hello at thebigidea.ie we're always happy to have a chat with anyone and all, right. all I'll say is if anyone does want to get in touch you won't regret it it's right. you know we're building a really amazing community of people who are supporting the students so okay. yeah please get in touch all it'd right. be great alright Neve, thank you Neve Cooney Head of Development with The Big Idea on their Mentor Recruitment program. Ooh, someone has contacted us who actually met Olivia Rodrigo. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 969 9696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. I, I always feel a bit sorry for poor old Victoria around Wimbledon time because she 
there are some days you nearly choke yourself, particularly in the early rounds of a tournament with some of the, some of the tennis players' names. But it gives me a chance to mention what I don't know if you sat up watching it. I sat down to look at it when it came on. I thought, right, Serena Williams. Uh, I love Serena Williams. She'll have this over and done within an hour, and we'll just move on. How wrong was I? Three and a quarter hours, and she beaten in a tiebreak by Harmony Tan, a first-timer at Wimbledon, a non-seeded first-timer, beats the great Serena. What a tennis match, lads. What a tennis match. It's why I love Wimbledon and why I love Wimbledon, women's tennis in particular. Let's hope we see a lot more of Harmony Tan. Uh, after, after what happened last night, she really deserves a good run in the tournament. But that's just me. Good morning, 0818 96 96 96. Olivia Rodrigo playing live at the Marquee tonight. We heard earlier this morning that she'd been seen around town, maybe in around Brown Thomas. Eve, you met her. I met her in Brown Thomas yesterday. Tell me what happened. So we saw her. I'm down working in Brown Thomas for the week. I'm down from Dublin. And we saw her in Brown Thomas. I saw her coming down the escalator. And I was definitely a bit of a creep. I just followed her straight out the door. um, Because I was like, that's Olivia Rodrigo. I can't pass up an opportunity to meet her. So she walked out of Brown Thomas and she walked into Gino's just across the street. So she went in and ordered a crepe and I just followed her in. (laughs) And I said, hi. Yeah, because she's at that stage of of her career where she's already a huge star, but a lot of people wouldn't know her if she walked down the street unless they're actually into her, into her music. Did you think it was a lookalike at first? Um, well, I know she's playing in Cork tonight, so I thought there was a strong chance that it was her, and I heard some whispers around all the girls in Brent Thomas saying, that's Olivia Rodrigo, so... Yeah, so you walked up to her? I did, yeah. She was in Gino's. She was ordering a crepe, so I waited outside until she finished ordering her crepe, and she sat down to wait for it. And I went in, and I said, Olivia, and she turned around, and she's like, hello? I was like, hi, I just wanted to say hi. I'm so sorry if this is annoying. But she was so lovely. Was she on her own? <laughs> she was with her security guard and then another girl. Right, right. So no one came over and said, go away. <laughs> No, they were all very polite. They were very lovely. Right. Did she get a photo? Yes, we did indeed. She asked me my name as well. And she introduced herself to me as if I didn't know who she was. And mm. she was very lovely. Yeah, I told her I was going to her concert today. And she said, have a lovely evening. I'll see you tomorrow. Brilliant, brilliant. And so you're looking forward to the concert. The tickets for this one... I. Yeah, they sold out in, in faster than it takes to boil a kettle. Like, it's the biggest concert of the year, in, and people are wondering, how the heck did they get her to the marquee? And I just say, that's what Peter Reagan does. Yeah. It's, a, <laughs> yeah. it's impressive. It's a massive scoop. Well, listen, enjoy the gig, Eve, and treasure that photograph, um, because I think oh, a I lot will. of people are saying, she, she, she's... Do you, know, do, you want to say, do you know who played the marquee once and it was a bit like that Eve it was years ago before she was a megastar and she walked into a bar down in East Cork and ordered herself a whiskey and people said is that who I think it is do you know who did that who was it would you guess Lady Gaga oh jeez I don't know oh no way I was going to say Lady Gaga no way there you go there you go that's mad have a great gig 
tonight and treasure, so treasure that photograph, Eve. Great to talk to you. Thanks for that. She met, met uh, Olivia Rodrigo yesterday in Brown Thomas, spotted her coming down the stairs, followed her out. I mean, stalk her, what? But no, you know yourself. Followed her out of the shop into Gino's next door. Are you in it's great because we had there's loads of stars have done that the Pet Shop Boys were wandering around Kinsale last week I remember when he was here a few years ago Cliff Richard he went to was it one of the chocolate shops he went into when he bought chocolate they come to Cork and they feel very welcome in Cork Bob, Bob Geldof regularly when he was staying to, used to bring his breakfast out and eat it down there on the boardwalk and chat to people going by it's great it's fabulous that we have uh, such an open attitude to stars like that Livia Rodrigo playing tonight live at the marquee Chloe closing the marquee season and what a way to close it now I wonder if these two are gearing up for a run at the marquee with their new single lads Kevin and PJ how's, how's it going how are how we things? I'm alright how right. are we getting on we're not too bad um, we're gone from my grandmam podcast to a single and I'm reading the lyrics lads global <laughs> superstars PJ I know all of you are what about show back <laughs> Go on. How did this come about? I'm talking to Kevin and PJ from the I'm Grandmam podcast, which is now in series six. Yeah, correct. Basically, we do a teaser every time we're coming back with a new season. And last year for season five, we had this notion to jump out of a plane and go skydiving. So we were do. like, whatever we, as you do, and we were like, whatever we do, this time has to kind of top that. And we were kind of thinking, we've always joked about being pop stars and we were like, like anytime we like make like a funny reference or something, we'll be like, we have to put that as one of the lyrics in our EP or in our album. So um, we then just decided we were going to write a song about how gay men walk faster than heterosexuals. Tell me more. <laughs> and the rest is history. Is that based on is that based on research? No, or just you're trying to tell me? Research. It's actually going to be on the leaving sort next year um, yeah. in the biology segment and the CSP segment. <laughs> Right, I, I'm being wound up here, aren't I? <laughs> no, no but like literally it's, it's every, time, every time I'm walking with my friend, I'm, they're literally like, PJ Camden, and it might be because I'm 6'4", but I think it's because the gays just have places to be, you know? We're like walking some, real quick. Sometimes you might even see us pass because we're actually going so quick, but you'll, you'll hear the jingle of the ice, the, the ice coffee, or you might um, smell our Lalabo aftershave, but um, the gays do in fact walk quicker. <laughs> I see, I see. And when is the, the, the single out, or is it out as it is? It's out at the moment, so we dropped it before we came back to the season. So if you want to stream it for us there now, throw it on and have cork shaking, we wouldn't say no. <laughs> is it on Spotify, or where is it, Dad? Yeah, it's on Spotify, it's on Spotify, Spotify all, all of the above. We were skipping, like, my mum my mom doesn't know. It's so funny trying to explain to my mum what we're doing next. She's like, wait, no, you're doing a single now? I thought you do the podcast. And I was like, oh, no, yeah, we just have notions every now and again, and we just be doing all the bits. Your poor mother. Your poor mother. Beyonce <laughs> released her single then the next week, so she kind of she kind of dulled her shine a small bit when she came back. Where her she, did say, but, um, she said she was inspired by us, and then she said she'd release yeah, her new track. She said she'd release another track. Right, and uh, I'm, I'm almost afraid to ask this. Is there a video? There is a video. Of course, it's, we don't do anything in half measures, PJ. 
No, yeah, we, we so basically we recorded on the Monday and then I think we shot the video on the Friday or something like that. But it was really quick turnaround. Our friend um, Douglas Redding shot it for us and we just we went into one of the clubs in Dublin and just had to dance around. It was last. Now you it's high camp, you're high camp and glamour. I know. Camp, lads, camp. You could set up your own tent. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be like us. You did, you did um, the block party. Yeah, the, um, well, the block party in Dublin. Yeah, we hosted it on Saturday and it was such a laugh. It was we great. Such it's just, and it's, it's just the end. The, it was because it was the first time since lockdown, like everyone could celebrate Pride in person. So it was just everyone was buzzing. It was such a laugh. Yeah, really, really great atmosphere up there. Now, we were trying to get a hold of the Orcs leads so we could plug in the backing track and perform. Kev, the Kevin kept going. Kevin kept going <laughs> to the organizers. We, will we perform our single? And they were just laughing. And he was like, the no, will we do I was like, I was like, Kevin, they don't want us to perform our parody single in and the in the event like See, the thing yeah. is pj i actually have a background in the singing and i grew up you know studying musical theater pj wouldn't be as oh, um, well you're reaching for those notes in, in the art of vocals so i think you know if it was a solo gig maybe they'd allow me to perform it but kevin's throwing me under the bus he's on solo already and we only have one single pj <laughs> Yeah, I know. You see, the th- as I've learned, and you guys have been on with me a couple of times now, I just need to let you off because you'll take over the whole... We only have about 45 minutes left in the... Sorry. <laughs> You're all right. Sorry, go on. Yeah, now listen, it's great. To, it's always great to talk to you. When you think about it too, I mean, six seasons of the podcast, a, a single, a video, hosting things like the Black Party, God knows you could be next in the marquee. It's really come on, fellas, hasn't it? Yeah, we're buzzing. Like, everyone's just been so lovely. And I think a lot of people did discover us over lockdown. And it's just so nice, especially things like the block party, to, like, meet them in person. Yeah, yeah completely. So what what guests have you lined up for the, the series? Well, actually, so, PJ's boyfriend is going to make an appearance. because My boyfriend, Holden, is coming on. And then Kevin's childhood best friend, Podrick, is coming on. Because we always have... Um, a discussion about Patrick being his childhood best friend and me competing with him for the, for a joke so we're going to have a, a best friend off to see who's going to be Kevin's best man in, in his wedding and then we were I thinking see. maybe we might try and snag one of the dairy girls or something Ooh. I have to call in a few favours yeah have you got I mean I remember asking you this before uh, and you got loads of your dream guests I mean have you have you got is there one now into season 6 is there one you want that you've never managed to get that you want to get I, I really want to do a sister I know this is like obviously there are sisters but I want to get Kevin's sister um, and my sister on just so I think they'd be a laugh to get the sister also, the go on yeah go on we also got a okay. place on Samantha Mumba but well we we got onto her management and said we'd love to have Samantha Mumba on and then they were quoting us something ridiculous like as a fee and we were like Christ we just want her on the podcast do you know what I mean but, um, right. maybe now when she sees how big we're after getting there we might are. do a collab with her in the studio. We might do a song. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> I, you might, you, you could. Uh, well, Olivia Rodrigo's in town tonight. She seems to be just wandering around shopping and buying waffles and chinos. I mean, are you in court? That's mad. She's the big, like, she's the, one of the biggest pop stars ever, like, I can't believe. Yeah, wandered out of Brown Thomas and wandered in next door for a waffle inside in chinos and half the place didn't know her. <laughs> That girl's got to eat, you know what I mean? She I, needs, I to, she needs the energy the for And I might know who she is either. But really? I think I'm, I'm mad with faces. I'm mad about her. No, I love are her to bits, but I just don't, I don't really recognise faces. And are you getting spotted in the street yet, lads, and stopped in the street? Are people following you into ice cream parlours yet? 
Oh no, did it say hi to us like? And then we'd be waiting for weeks then. Now everyone was swinging off us at the block party at the weekend because it was, you know, all the gays and the days and the and the allies as well. So they were hounding us, but we were kind of loving it because we looked we looked kind of iconic and we were loving all the pics. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at. By the way, before I let you go, I'm looking at a picture of you here. Yeah, uh, with Brown Thomas and Pride. That's a fam- that's a nice picture, lads. Where did that come from? We're buzzing, yeah, we shot we, we shot their Pride campaign there, I think it was like two weeks ago, um, yeah. and they were so lovely, we had such a laugh, and I was weak then, I was here, am I keeping these clothes? And we didn't get to keep them, so I was allergic, but it was grand, <laughs> it was so lovely. They even took the socks off us. So I was like, any chance I keep this jacket, this gorgeous jacket? They were like, no, no, we have to bring them back, I was like, grand, but they were still lovely. And then um, we're also, um, there's a... A mural on the Brown Thomas in Dublin of me and, of me and Kevin were weak for ourselves. Now, mural is probably a strong word. It's a painting. Or it's, 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 uh, well, that's, what, that's what it's called. I don't know if it's a mural, babe. Well, that's what they're so called they're then, anyway. <laughs> they're off again. They're off again. That's the, the I'm Grandman podcast back for Series 6. The boys have a, a single out. And uh, I, I, I strongly suspect that there'll be many more venues involved very soon. Kevin Toomey and PJ Kirby from the I'm Grandman podcast. Lads, always a crack to catch up with you. Thanks a million. Thanks so much, PJ. Talk to you. Take care. Thanks, lads. There are a whole, the two of them. They just, I mean, I might as well not be here. Do you know what I mean? They just start chatting away. Thanks, lads. 0818 96 96 96. A couple in B&Q were left flushed with embarrassment when their toddler did a poo-poo in a display toilet. I saw this! I saw this! The dad had to kill the house! Yeah. Uh, Caroline and hubby Aaron were in the DIY shop when their son Jacob Four said, That's the loo, I need to go for it. Oh, that's You can do it when you be in poo and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool exclusively Skoda in the city find your next car online at noeldc.com open 24-7 Courts 96 FM yeah and by the way for all the talk about Olivia Rodrigo we will play driver's license before the end of the show to mark her arrival in town for the gig all right 0818 96 96 96 me missus is mad into reflexology she's been at it uh, at a few sessions of it i'm always kind of half afraid of it because i don't like my feet being tickled but (laughs) it is very popular and anita siegel of happy feet reflexology i guess as a very much a hands-on form of therapy it must have been a nightmare trying to be a reflexologist in in lockdown and you just set the company up in january of 2020 good morning good morning peachy uh, thanks for having me yes yes i set the company up in january 2020 and i uh, actually specified in workplace reflexology hmm. so that was i think a double uh, blow when uh, lockdown hit because it was clear that companies are not going to back to the office for the foreseeable future. But no, I don't think it was a nightmare. Maybe I was lucky that I set up the company so soon or in such a short period. So I was probably more ready to pivot than if I would have been a reflexologist 
for years, if that makes any sense. Yes, yes it do- no, it does. And that actually makes good <laughs> sense. You, you had started the business, you weren't embedded in it, you were still a kind of a fledgling business. Talk to yeah. me a little bit about reflexology, uh, Anita. I mean, to me, it, it looks like someone feeling up and down your feet, pressing on pressure points, <laughs> and that those pressure points reflect the different parts of your body. Is that what it is, or is it more to it? Yes. Yes, so reflexology is an ancient, non-intrusive therapy, okay? And I emphasize non-intrusive, where we stimulate the nerve endings on the feet and hands of our clients by applying rhythmic pressure to the reflex areas, which are connected to the organs and the tissues in the body. And by applying this pressure, okay, we rebalance the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system to reduce the neurophysiological experience of stress, in layman terms, how you react and experience stressful situations. And we trigger the body to restore the state of calm, improve energy flow, blood pressure, and lymphatic system circulation. Is so this because, Anita, n- that most of the, I mean, obviously our nerves run from our brain down through our body right into our yes. limbs, into every element of our, of our system, our digestive system, every other mm-hmm. system, and then they come down into our legs. Is it, uh, does every nerve ending in the feet, or in the hands indeed, does that reflect back up into the body, into something else? Yes, yes it does. Do you know, sometimes I explain it to, to new clients, um, in a way, if you look at your touch, touch screen phone, okay, Okay. You fully understand. Everyone does. If I touch that app, it opens the app and it does yeah. what I want it to do. That's the same okay. way how reflexology works. Right. Okay. And what kind it's, of things <laughs> can you deal? Can you work on with with reflexology? Ooh, what what kind of things we can't? Very few. Really? Um, I also feel and see from uh, from clients, and that's the feedback as well, that stress. Uh, brings every system in the body out of balance. So if someone comes to me uh, with digestive issues, for example, I have a few clients with IBS, by reducing how they experience stress, how they react stress, and obviously we also release pent-up stress from previous times, we actually help the digestive system. And that's that's one side to it. And the other side to it that we always work the reflex areas of the digestive system. So, for example, stomach would be a very, uh, very much a system where clients, yourself, everyone stores mm. stress, right? Yeah. So when I work the stomach reflex area, I release that residue from previous stressful situations. Okay. So the stomach is. Uh, can work better if if that makes any sense. And the same yeah, this is the, for the, the butter, whole body. Butterflies in your stomach, that kind of thing. The stomach is a reflection well, of the stress in your body, yes, kind of thing. Yes. So this, like the stomach. Then some people store stress in their neck, the shoulder area, um, in in their spine, certain parts of the spine. It is very individual, but essentially the stomach is always affected by stress because either you store stress there, you know, when your stomach, I don't know, when you are in stressful situations, the stomach clenches up. It it happens to everyone. Um, 
But in stressful situations, we also tend to eat comfort food, much more sugar and much more unhealthy food, put it this way. So once, once we work on releasing stress, not reacting to stress, Mm. I find clients actually tell me that they drop unhealthy habits without consciously wanting to. Gotcha. No, it is, is that- <laughs> literally a hands-on therapy. Yes. So I'm fascinated yes. to, to, to learn that you managed to move part of your business online. How mm-hmm. and Did you teach people to do their own yes. reflections? Wow. So what I, what I do uh, at the beginning of the lockdown, when I was clear that I can't go back to workplace reflexology, and I knew that the, the clients that I focused on before lockdown, they don't have the time after work to, to go and get um, therapies. So that's why I went into workplace reflexology in the first place. So I was thinking, how can I help them? And then I started to run first Facebook Lives on my Facebook page where I was uh, guiding people through how to massage certain areas of their hands and release stress, anxiety, improve their sleep and just feel better in general. From this Facebook Live sessions, which I run for two or three months, I believe, uh, developed a program which I call Guided Online Hand Reflexology. And companies started to uh, inquire about it, book those workshops. And I have a few international corporations that are on their third workshop series and will continue to offer it. So, yeah, yeah, it's actually... You you, 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 you do do the online teaching now as well as being able to go back in in person as well. Yeah, I wouldn't call it teaching because I'm just guiding people through. So they will not be qualified reflexologists. There is sure. a lot more to it. Sure, but yeah. they, learn, they learn a few moves. They learn a few techniques. They learn specific breathing exercises where we anchor our breathing on hand moves. So they, they have all these extra techniques and moves which they can reach back to any time they need to. And uh, sorry, I'm listening to my own voice. (laughs) So anyway, I'm guiding them through. It's a 45-minute program, and then I have a short program, which is only 20 minutes. But they learn these areas. They they also have access to video tutorials afterwards if they want to go back. And um, where was my thought now? Sorry. That's okay. No, there's no, there's, 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 no, there's a lot in your in your business, and I guess in a yes, way, looking back, looking back, you'd 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 have struck a bad luck at the start. But in actual fact, what you've ended up with now, Anita, mm. is two businesses in one. Yes, yes, and I love both. Is, I'm sure you <laughs> do. I could talk all day about the, but the science of, I, of reflexology and how it actually works and, and the biology of it. But I think a lot of people are well into it, and and they can if they want to contact you for a session or a treatment or where where can they start? Yes, so my website is happyfeetreflexology.ie. Uh, I have an online booking system. Obviously, I have a lot more information on my website about myself, reflexology, everything, and Hotstone Reflexology, which uh, is one of my strongest uh, services and most popular. They can also have a look at my video tutorials. And can I just say one last thing? 
Sure. We don't tickle the feet. We actually apply deep pressure. So even people <laughs> with ticklish feet don't experience um very good. No, I was, I was just saying that was going to make me half afraid. But <laughs> listen, no, Anita, don't. A, a pleasure, a pleasure to speak with you, and best of luck with thank the business. Thank you so thank, much. Thank, thank you. That is Anna, Anita Siegel of Happy Feet Reflexology. Uh, that's a great story. Opened her business in January 2020. Had to close it in March 2020 because of lockdown. Took it online in the most unique way and now she's got two businesses for the price of one that's a good story 0818 96 she's a megastar already and she's only starting that's Olivia Rodrigo live at the marquee tonight closing out the marquee season for 2022 and what a season it has been there's some great nights been had down at the marquee and tonight will be no different a total sellout it's sold out in the time it takes to boil a kettle and probably less than that time uh, Olivia Rodrigo tonight live at the marquee and people are saying how the hell did they get her to a tent in Cork that's what Mr. Aiken does and has been doing now since 2005. Closing the season tonight. 0818 96 96 96. If you're going down, have a good gig. If you're headed for the Galway Film Fla, which is another very big event in its own right, you will see a new film uh, put together entirely in Cork and starring someone from our own parish, Jess Lean. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? How are you doing? Occasionally to be heard uh, in the Cork's 96FM newsroom, but a professional actor and performer uh, as your full-time gig. Tell me about this film. It's called Not My Sister, Jess. Yeah, it's um, it's my second short film, and it's very kindly supported by Cork City Council from the Arts Department there. Um, it's about a girl called Chris who comes home to Cork for the weekend from London uh, to celebrate her little sister's 13th birthday. And um, what transpires over the course of the 12 minutes of the film is that um, a family secret basically bubbles to the surface. Um, I don't know Mm. if I should give away the whole film here or or not. Um, But yeah, it's it's about it's a it's a film very much to do with women's stories and uh, a lot of taboo conversation in Irish history and society but it's told in a very simplistic modern way I gotcha, I'm beginning to get a sense of what's in it, so a 12, a 12 minute or how much time does it take to make a 12 minute film like that and why why pick, why pick 12 minutes What's the, you know, talk to me a bit about the science of a short film as it were um, well, I didn't specifically set out to pick 12 minutes. It's, I suppose it's closer to 13, really, with the credits and everything. Um, but, and ironically, the first film I made was in and around the exact same timing. Um, um, I, did, I didn't set out, no, to make yeah. it that time. Um, it took three days to shoot, and it took, uh, over the course of... Uh, a couple of months before that to write it and I had a lovely team of script supervisors and um, just friends from the industry who dipped in and out and who gave me a lot of pointers here, there and everywhere which was really nice because the first film I made was very much a solo venture whereas I had a I had a couple of eyes and a lot of help and collaboration on this one um, mm. 
in the background, which was really nice. But yeah, it was a three day shoot and it was all in the Cork City area, as was the plan for it. And um, it just turned out. I was just going to ask that. Where where was where was it filmed? Will we recognise places? You might. There's um, a garage in Donnybrook, the Centra in Donnybrook were very kind to give us the front of there to shoot. And then in um, the Gary Duff Woods, we shot there as well. Um, And then we shot some of it in my own house. And then we also shot outside Cork Airport. We also got permission to shoot there, which was people are really kind, you know, and you, you kind of have this imposter syndrome as a... I suppose as anyone, but especially as an artist, and you kind of think, oh, I'm not meant to be here, or people are going to find me out, and I'm I'm just, I feel like I'm pretending. And then you email people, or you contact them, and you ask them for support, or like, do you mind if I shoot my film here? And people are so giving, and they're so kind, so especially in Cork, it's just such a lovely community. And and then when it's done, and you have it in front of you, uh, I presume Mm -hmm. the first time you watch it's on a laptop or something, how does that feel to say, this is my baby? Yeah, it's a funny one because you think, I suppose, there's so much pre-production and then the shoot happens and while you're on set, it feels so immediate and like this is it. And then on the the last second when you say that's a wrap and you finish, you realise the world of work that's ahead of you because you've got post-production and you've got, you know, sound and graphics and colour grade and editing. And there's there's so much work in the post-production that by the time you finally get to watching the full thing I'm quite hands-on when it comes to the edit um, as a director so I've, I've seen it come together so I kind of have seen it I suppose essentially as as a snippet the whole way along yeah. but when you see it as one piece I, I watch it on a TV just to make sure everything is okay um, and yeah. when you see it as one piece finally it is it's a it's an amazing feeling because you remember yeah that first word you typed in the script uh, initially you yeah. know months beforehand or a year beforehand go, so that that's mine and then when a when a festival as respected as the Galway Film Fest says yeah we take it that's yeah, a nice one that was that was I won't lie that was a shock um, because initially when I made my first short film uh, it didn't get into the Galway flat and I kind of took it really personally and it was a great lesson to learn as an artist that you just, you can't, you can't take these things personally and it great it gave me a great goal for the next one to get it into the Galway flat and then I did. So it's it, it's just lovely, I suppose, to watch your own progress that way, that way and also just to learn not to take things to heart and it's about the journey, it's not about the destination. Where else might we get to see it, Jess, eventually? Um. I'm hoping it's going to be locally in a festival <laughs> at some point. Um, and then I'm hoping as well it'll be in a couple of other festivals around the country and who knows, maybe maybe further afield. Good for you. Good for you. Well, congratulations on it. I can't wait to see it. I think I've got a sense of what the story is. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing it. And uh, congratulations. We're all very proud of you here at 96 FM, Jess. Thanks so much, PJ. Thanks for having me on. That's that's Jess Lean, uh, one of our own here at Quark's 96FM, but she's written and produced and directed and made this movie called uh, Not My Sister. And it'll be at the Galway Film Fla. Thank you for that, Jess. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. Now, I talked about Olivia Rodrigo uh, closing out the marquee season tonight. 
but opening it, can you believe it? This is the 20... What day have we got? 28th of June. But opening the night, the, the show on the 27th May, a month ago, were the Coronas. And it was... It's like you can't kind of have the marquee now without the Coronas or without Christy Moore, but they had a great night and they kicked off a great festival. But they have now gone and sold out a major gig in Dublin this coming weekend. And our friends at FM 104 hosted the Coronas last night in Whelan's in Dublin. Uh, they were they were talking to Crossy last night and they were talking about selling out that gig on Friday um, and, and here's what Danny had to say feels absolutely amazing um, as we were saying earlier on there's like a million gigs happening at the moment and festivals and everything is, is everyone's catching up on stuff that, that hasn't happened over the last couple of years so we're so buzzing it's our biggest gig of the summer and as I was saying to you earlier on it's just it's so good to be able to do a gig like this tonight when it's a rehearsal for us but also it's just an amazing venue you know and it's great to be here to play it Okay. Now, they are a really um, special bunch of lads. They always put on a great gig. But a lot of people have been saying since we came back to live gigging, and God, we missed it so much, that there's something extra special about them being back performing since restriction were were lifted. And Danny was talking about that last night. There is definitely, but I think the first couple of gigs we did back, like probably before Christmas, when the when the first restrictions were lifted, you could see people were still a tiny bit unsure. They were like, "Are we allowed? Like, you know, is this cool?" And they're sort of not. But now, like since since that year came down and five hundred thousand people went to see him in one one week, I'm just like, "Okay, we're back." Like, so you can see that little bit of madness in people now, and they're just like they're loving it. So uh, yeah, we're 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 happy to to be here and provide a bit of. Yeah, and a load of people were saying uh, across the marquee season and out at Musgrave Park and up and down the country how fantastic it is to be back um, for for all the artists. And it's been, I tell you, as a as someone who loves going to gigs, it's fantastic to be back. Getting into the business as a new band, uh, the hardest thing for a band to do is break in. And there are loads of bands out there who'll never manage to break in. But when you break, like the Coronas did, it's fantastic. And uh, Danny was saying that the way that you break into the industry, that that's changed over the years. But he says getting played on the radio is essential. Things have changed. It's not really like things like TikTok and, you know, stuff that I don't know anything about are now breaking bands. But for us, radio play was always important. I think that's why people people are seeing it because thankfully we're still getting radio playing and it's it's amazing, it's an amazing feeling, we'll never get sick of it, especially as I say when it's a new song and you're like, Oh yeah, and people are singing it back to us, so it's uh, yeah, it's a great feeling. Now they've got a a new song coming out as well. I mean, they're always producing new music, but they've got a new one coming out, and Danny was saying it's out today. It's called uh, Don't Stay In Love, and it's the first song on, on the new album, which is coming out in September, um, and we're going to play it tonight for the first time. Brilliant. So we're, uh, we're, we've been working on it all week, and no, I'm excited about it. I'm really happy with the new album. We finished it in January, as I say. It's coming out, actually, I think it's coming out the first week of October. All right, and... That new single, I'm no doubt you'll hear it very, very soon on Cork's 96FM. Now we've got the Trinity sold out Friday night. They sold out the Marquis a few weeks ago. They did Whelan's last night. The place was bouncing. But 
They've just signed a contract for Electric Picnic. Danny was telling us more. Now that our Dublin show is sold out, I can say that we're actually playing Electric Picnic as well. Um, because they, yeah, they asked us not to say it until the, the, our own show was sold. But um, So we can't wait for that. That'll be just, as I say, a couple of weeks before, about three or four weeks before our album comes out. So we'll be buzzing for that as well. And the lineup's already amazing, so uh, we can't wait for that. Yeah, the great friends of 96FM, they played. And we have got pictures on the wall, if you don't believe us, inside in here in Broadcasting House, where they actually played downstairs a couple of years ago did the Coronas. That's Danny and the lads that sold out the Trinity gig tomorrow night and they'll be playing Electric Picnic. New song, new album coming out towards the end of the year. I have no doubt, you know, that when the lineup for Marquee 23 is announced that they'll be in there somewhere. 0818969696. Right, need to tidy up some of your input from the morning from our various topics of conversation. We were talking about tips uh, in, in our first hour and new law that the government is about to pass about how tips are donate are doled out among staff and how bosses have to be very cognizant of the fact that the tip was intended for the waiter or waitress. Colin says, I worked in a famous hotel and it's not just management you need to be careful of. The staff had a meeting and asked that tips be pooled and everyone agreed and the management did too and they didn't try to take the tips off us. There was a lot agreed though. The head waiter seemed to get the lion's share and any time we argued, we were told it's only fair because that's why the customer tipped, as in the head service and the head waiter. So you need com- some kind of a system running through the company. Um, personally, and I'm, I'm sorry I stand over this, uh, it's a rock I'm prepared to perish on. If someone serves me well and does a good job with my meal, they get the money and I want that to go into their pocket. I don't want it going into anybody else's. And you know what? I'm happy to perish on that rock. Uh, Antoinette 100% agrees with this legislation. Many a time I worked in pubs and restaurants, never got my tips. If we go to a restaurant, I always give whoever is serving us their tip directly because I know that that's what happens, which is exactly what I'm saying, Antoinette. The money, the tip that I give someone, that's for them. That is for them. I don't necessarily want it going anywhere else. And like I said, I will perish on that rock if I have to. We have a fairly lengthy comment in about special needs education, which I will come back to tomorrow. But on prices, yeah, um, Kate was on. She was listening to comments from St. Vincent de Paul in the morning news. Uh, She was out walking, says Kate, met a neighbour, and we commented that there was a bit of a nip in the air. A nip in the air? I mean, it's more like someone took away June and brought back March, but, but that's how it is. And she said, yeah, it's cold, but sure, I went to bed early, so I didn't have to turn on the heating. Like, if it's like that now, says Kate, what it'll be like in the winter, there'll be all sorts of suffering. And when you talk about inflation, PJ, my son had to get milk in the service station. Normally, he'd get it from Dunn's or Tesco's or some of the supermarkets. In the service station, it was 286. It would normally be 149 in the supermarket. The prices are soaring in small shops. And we all have to go there sometimes. That is a whole pile of money. It sure is. That's a that's a very big price differential. That is about it. If you missed any of today's show, you can listen back on the app or the website to all the different podcasts and we had the full show up during the afternoon. If there's anything you want to talk to us about or you think we should be featuring on the show, pop us an email anytime you like. Opinion at 96fm.ie. The program edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thanks again to Wayne on the desk and I'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. When we're at-
adoring Adele. Are you thinking, it's not easy on me? And has our love of Justin Bieber got you not wanting to stay? What I want. Tell us the music you want to hear. And what songs should disappear with the Cork's 96FM Music Panel. Take our 10-minute music survey. And you could win a 100 euro penny voucher. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.